Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. Guess what? I'm a witch. Guess what? I'm a podcast fan. <laughs> More or less embarrassing than being a Clippers fan. Who can say? At, at this day and age, I mean, it's the equivalent. I think that would be the joke at this point, right? If this movie were made tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. feels like a movie that could very much be made tomorrow. Of course. The people are demanding it. I'm amazed yeah. it hasn't happened already. Make this exact movie again. But also, it feels timeless. It feels like this pitch would work in any era. Well, the jokes are just, they're well-written jokes. They they're just well, work. They could work right. in any decade, any year. They just work. It's classic comedy. And, and you know, a key to comedy usually is clarity, right? <laughs> uh-huh. And this movie is crystal clear. You understand exactly what it's going for at every moment. Yes. Um I've got to say, I think, and I was saying this off mic, uh, you know, comedy, sure, there's some yucks in this movie, but this is just one of the hottest movies of the 2000s. (laughs) This movie is just so damn steamy. Well, it's one of those things where the movie kind of underperformed at the box office. I think it was because they were selling the comedy rather than the sexual chemistry. I feel like... I think the outrageous sexual chemistry of this movie uh, made people uncomfortable. Well, it you was know, like, I am curious yellow. <laughs> yes. You have you have Nicole Kidman. Of course. And she's been in Moulin Rouge with Elon. Yes. You and you and McGregor and, and the, the chemistry, it's really one of the, the generation's best romances, but it really just pales in comparison to this. That's what it is. Yes, your point is, at this point in time, Nicole Kidman is known for more of sort of a musical comedy bent. To, to, to <laughs> yes. view her as a sexual object in a movie is difficult. And Farrell is coming in here, who famously is a very physical actor, shows mm. a lot of skin, and he's mm. like, Nicole, I'm going to show you. Yeah, right. I'm going to show you how to make um, the screen sizzle. Yeah, exactly. It's a sizzler. This is a sizzler. This it's would a be sizzler. my top 10 sizzlers. Well, as a, as a heterosexual woman, I say I'm, I've never been more attracted to a character than the unexplained, deeply unpleasant Jack, our protagonist of this film. Jack Wyatt. Jack Wyatt. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you're lobbing it up perfectly, Dana, but today, of course, uh, we're talking about the movie Bewitched, about a man trying his hardest to make sure that the witch on Bewitched does not become the primary character. Uh, a movie which also does the same. Uh, yes, you're right. You're, it's a fair point, right? The movie inadvertently does that. Yes. Or advertently. I don't know. I don't know. This but, is like four movies crammed into a hundred minutes, too. I th- I think it's more like ten movies crammed into a hundred <laughs> minutes. I was I like, lost track at a certain point, but I think it's about ten. When we were an hour in, Forky was like, "Wait, does he know she's a witch yet?" And I was like, "No." And she's like, "They still gotta deal with that. Like yeah. that's gonna be a whole other thing." There are yeah, there are three reveals where it's like yeah. he backstabbed her. She's secretly a witch. There's so many. So many second act switches, but for and me, wh- one of them is literally undone. There's a 15 <laughs> yes. minute segment of the movie that is like edit irrelevant. Undo. Yes, I have to say, when she had a real Aunt Clara, I I lost it. I was furious at the film. Look, we're champing at the bit. We got to get into this. There's too much to talk about. It's rare we have a movie where we're just like. I don't know. Like, clear out the schedules. We might not be able to get this in in four hours. Like, there's too much to 
to crack into in this movie. Griffin, but, I have a hard out in two and a half hours. Let's Okay, well, you're going to have to push that back. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is officially going to be our longest episode ever. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Griffin. I'm David Sims. And this is Blank Check with Griffin and David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they... Trying to wiggle my nose. It doesn't. Yeah, it's more of a chin waggle, like I said. But now, what I want to say is, I also think that what Nicole Kidman is doing is more of a chin waggle, especially if you look at Elizabeth Montgomery in the original show. The magic trick of it was her nose seems to wiggle without the rest of her face moving that much. And yeah. on Nicole Kidman, you could see the effort, and so much of the movie is based around people seeing her do the nose thing and going, "Oh my God, how do you do that? I can't believe that." Mm-hmm. I remember there being stories about how she worked on the nose for like two years. She wiggles her face. It's not that crazy. It's like she's trying to get a booger out without <laughs> picking her nose. That's what it looks like, right? Well put. Thank you. Here, wait, I want to watch Elizabeth Montgomery to see. Because like, you know, she's the so show she's so had cute. the cartoon. Yes, right. And so, you know, the cartoon wiggles its nose as well. And obviously that's very prominent nose wiggling. But she does no. Um, she, when she does it, she's live just wig- she's wiggling her damn cheeks. That's what she's doing. Also, if you're magic, you should have the ability just to isolate your your nose. That that could be part of your magic. Did they live in another realm? What are the rules of witches? Okay, there are no rules. <laughs> this is a mini series on the films of Nora Ephron. It's called mm-hmm. You've Got Podcast. And sometimes when we announce a director. People go, I don't get it. What's the arc? That's just like they made a lot of hit comedies. Like, what's, what is that? Here's the thing about Nora Ephron. Aside from the fact that her successful movies are very much worth talking about for the influence they had and the weirdness of how they came to be, she's got some big swings and some big bounces. Now, yep. the other bounces, I feel like, are movies where people are just like, what? People didn't like the movies. Right. But also, they just, like, did not even register. This right, is, like... Right. That's, the it, movie came out, and people were like, no, 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 thank you, not for me. Right. And this that is was like the bounce. Big pre-existing IP. Big, two big movie stars, kind of at their peak moment. Huge budget, big summer release. Mm-hmm. I feel like this one, when you explain Mixed Nuts to people, people say, I can't believe that exists, I've never heard of it. When you explain Bewitched to people, they go, oh, right, I forgot that existed, but also that's what that fucking movie is about? Actually? They spent practically 40 years trying to crack a Bewitched movie, and that's what we got eventually. <laughs> Look, I mean, Dana, we were talking- like, Bewitched is high concept. The sitcom. Like, Huge it's, concept. It's ready to it's, be a movie. It's high concept enough. You could have just- at the end of this movie, they tease that the couple is now becoming bewitched. And I just right. wrote in my notes, I would watch that movie. Let me just watch that. Yeah. I, I yeah. like Richard bewitched. Richard Kind and Sedaris? Like, that sounds fun. Let's have some witch antics. Okay, I'm going to speed through some, some things here. But our guest today for the Noble Blood podcast, is there a name for the romantic comedy podcast? Um, it's not. Who knows when it's going to come out? So, yeah. Okay. Just Noble Blood. And- and untitled Dana Schwartz uh, romantic comedy podcast. It's Dana Schwartz, ladies and gentlemen. Hi. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, of course. Of course. 
of course. Now, you had seen this movie before. Yeah, I was I was talking about it. I was a big Bewitched fan growing up. Like, my mom mm-hmm. had watched it growing up, so she had all the DVDs. I think they were DVDs. Maybe they were VHS. They were whatever. Um, but we, I watched old Bewitched. I had multiple seasons. I was a big old school Bewitched fan. And I distinctly remember going to the theater to, seeing this, to see this movie with my mom. And I remember liking it. And I, like, enjoyed it. And that, this was the first moment where, like, but I was, I was like 11 or 12, just for context. So I was like a 12-year-old going to see this movie, and I liked it. I was like, oh, it has the cadence and look of a movie. The same way, you know, some sure, things have like sure, cadence sure. and look. It's a movie. It's a movie. And yeah. I remember this was the first movie where I saw like reviews or like Rotten Tomatoes, and it got obviously savaged for very good reason. And this was the first time as a young person I was like, oh, movies that I like or thought were good, maybe aren't good. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and so now I rewatched this movie as an adult, and I was like, oh, this movie is a disaster. I thought I had seen this movie. I, I, I had a f- false memory of seeing this movie. My, my sister, past and future guest Romley Newman, huge classic sitcom fan, mostly watched classic sitcoms as a young child because she doesn't, especially at a young age, did not like conflict. Right. She liked high concept, charm comedy Everything's stuff. wrapped up in 22 minutes. Very right. Anything with too much of a conflict would stress her out, and she didn't like watching shows with kids in them. Um, so she watched a lot of classic sitcoms, and Bewitched was one of her favorites. My mom took her to see it, and I thought I had seen this movie because my mom and Romilly, Romilly, who must have been seven at the time, uh, explained it to me in depth. Sure. And it was seared into my brain as, I can't believe those things happen in this movie. Well, I, this movie came out in 2005. I was working at the Boston Phoenix. I was a little intern, college intern boy. And I lived in Boston and I didn't have many friends. So I would go see movies all the fucking time by myself. Mm -hmm. And so I saw Bewitched by myself. I guess mostly probably out of boredom, but also like I was, I was all in on Will Ferrell. So I think I was probably just like, well, you know, maybe he's gonna, you know, he'll, he'll be good. I don't know. The, the I, advertising I, yes. was all Will Ferrell. All Will Ferrell. Him going like Sherpa, all that. Yeah. Like there was the trailer Humus. is all Ferrell. Humus. Humus. The height Humus. of comedy is saying saying Humus with a little h on it. That's that's such Humus. a 2005 joke. Is just what if I pronounce something correctly? Right. Um, and this is, I mean, this is his big flop year. We're going to talk about it. Well, because I was going to say, I was all in on him. And this is, it's going to have to be a lot of career context on Farrell, who I feel like we haven't really talked about before. Kidman's come up before, right? Yeah, but, you know, we we can talk Kidman. But Kidman, yeah, there's career context on both of these that are kind of crucial. I This movie just made me feel so bad for Nicole Kidman. I think any Agreed. gorgeous woman who has starred in movies where her romantic lead was Tom Cruise and Ewan McGregor should never have to pretend to be attracted to Will Farrell. And certainly not no. with with this in kind this of character. Swedish He's probably a lovely character. man. Whatever in this care in this context. I'm I'm trying to even figure out just how to organize. This. I'm going to start. So I'm going to slowing. Okay. I'm going to start with the first build actor in this film, Nicole Kidman. Yes. And the reason she's first build is this is three years removed from an Oscar win for mm-hmm. the hours. She's which, or really which, two years when he's. Let's say because of the the time that movies take to get made. Three years is where you really see the full force test of someone's power post-Oscar win. It's like these are the projects that they're signing on to right after the Oscar. 
that go through exactly. a full incubation period development. Right. That's exactly what I want to talk about. Because the year after the, uh, you know, the 2003, the year after the hours, she's in the human stain supporting role, whatever. Shot before. Not, not, right. Yeah. And Cold Mountain, which is, you know, big uh, collaboration with Anthony Minghella. Yeah. Know, obviously a big deal movie. But also was um, in the works before she won the Oscar. Yeah. Right. But totally. So I would say that her big sort of chunk post Oscar is this two prong thing where she is pursuing these very daring projects with interesting directors. Dogville. Uh, Dogville, Birth, Fur, which didn't hit, but, mm-hmm. you know, still counts. Right. Uh, that that's sort of her being like, I will use my clout to make interesting stuff. Yeah. Like box office be damned. All of that is interesting. Yeah. And then you've got Hollywood being like, all right, Nicole. We're going to we're going to figure it out. We're going to find all kinds of great stuff for you. Like don't you worry. The Hollywood machine is is whirring away. We got to we're going to reboot the Stefford wives for you. Oh. We're a uh, political thriller. You can do the interpreter. You can do bewitched. Like yeah. Hollywood is throwing all this garbage at her because There's they're this, like yeah, eh, you're like a, a a sort of scary robot lady. Like that seems to be what they think of her. Well, there, there's this thing that happens, and I feel like it's now finally dissipated a little bit, probably largely because of TV and actors being less precious about their careers. But there was a thing that existed for a very long time that was like, Tom Hanks is the best case scenario. Here's a guy who's like a star, but then he wins the Oscar. It's his anointment. And then for a decade, he is bulletproof. Like, this is the moment where you graduate to being just, like, guaranteed money in the bank, America's favorite movie star. And you get to unlock new rooms. That also happens way more if you're a man. I feel like women winning the Oscar is not always good for the woman. And also, Nicole Kidman, not only is she a woman, but she's in her mid-30s at this point. And I feel like, you know, she already had her first career wave where she's in Batman and she's in... Um, you know, practical, men, right? Like, you know, right. like they, she, and so like, she's in her thirties. She's a woman in her thirties and Hollywood is just like baffled. They're like, uh, we, we, uh, <laughs> let's reboot anything that ever had a woman in it. I, I don't know. Well, David, as you can tell from this movie's multiple audition scenes, a 30 year old unknown actress, Hollywood has none of those. There are no good actresses in Hollywood <laughs> who are 30 point. years old. Yes, absolutely not. Uh, no, I mean, there's a reason they don't work. It's on them. Absolutely. And I want to say that unequivocally. Um, it, no, it is that thing. It's like what I think of it specifically as is here's like an actress who's very famous and is like beloved, but is not necessarily like a solo, like classical movie star box office draw, usually because they're a little more interesting as an actor than that. And then yeah. after that. Hollywood is always like, we need to find some movie we can overpay you for. Like, there has to be right. some movie where we can pay you 15 to $20 million to just put you on a poster and have it be money in the bank. And it's almost always a mistake like this. It's like Catwoman. It's Eon Flux. It's right. that kind of like, you're very, very famous, but now we're going to put everything on you. The idea of Nicole Kidman is a Stepherd wife. Halle Berry is Catwoman. Like, that's it, you know? Let's find the property to put you in. On, we, on our Happy Feet episode, we discussed mm-hmm. her, her biggest hits, and they're all movies that she has supporting roles in. So, like, Aquaman, Happy Feet, Batman yeah. Forever, The Upside, Just Go With It. Right. Those are her biggest five hits. Her biggest hit as a star is The Others, which yes. is sort of like an organic hit. It hit because it was a good movie. 
But that's like her only zag, you know, it was like a ghost story when Hollywood didn't have a lot of, you know what I mean? That's her only solo $100 million movie, right? I I, I think because Cold Mountain is kind of a trio movie, I guess, uh, certainly. Did that hit 100? Did it end up at like 98? It's like 95. Yeah. None of these movies hit 100. As a a box office nerd, doesn't it stress you out when movies get that close to 100? I hate it. Didn't Moulin Rouge do okay at the box office? Really well overseas. Did uh, well overseas and did okay considering the movie that it was. Yes. But it made 57 domestic. Mm. It was it was more of a cult thing from the beginning. Like yeah. and and also like a huge huge DVD movie. Like at yeah. a, at a, a moment that was peak DVD, it comes out in like May and by the time it's nominated for best picture, it's like exploding on DVD. It had the sort of leg up on everyone else. Kidman's best movies are either things like Moulin Rouge and um, The Eyes Wide Shut, like which are like big, quote unquote, movies, but that are weird and are sort of kind of yeah. daring and unusual. Or There's- her smaller films where she's working with, you know, auteurs like like Birth or uh, But she Dog works best whatever. in a somewhat transgressive zone. There is this yeah. weird aspect to Nicole Kidman where it's like, not only is she best there, but it seems like that's the stuff she likes the most. Yeah, 100%. Like, I interviewed Karen Kusama for Destroyer, mm-hmm. and she, like, had nothing but, like, she was just overflowing with praise for Nicole Kidman's process. Like, not just, like, oh, she's I, a I, nice lady. I've like, heard the she same thing, that she's, like, an incredibly serious, committed actor. Like, she is right. one of those people who just, like, takes it really seriously as a craft and is not that engaged with sort of movie star bullshit. Um... But, I but love yes. her, but, but she does I, need the right thing. It's very weird to have this and Stepford Wives back to back. Yeah, I, I think she is capable of being funny. I mean, certainly one of her best performances ever is To Die For, but that's a very different strain for. of comedy. But that's right. She's funny in that, but it is sort of like an actory kind of funny. She's funny because she's so serious. She's taking yeah, that right, role exactly. so seriously. Has she ever been funny? Now I am thinking about this. She's similarly funny in... Uh, eyes wide shut in the same way. Not she's not exclusively amazing funny. in eyes wide and, shut. Yes. But right. But like, has, like, because I haven't seen like just go with it. To I die for is is a is a comedic role though. You know what I mean? Like, that yeah, is she, a role yes, that she won she's very the Golden Globe. Actress in a comedy. I would say I think she's far better in Stepford Wives than she is in this. I think Stepford Wives. Sure. Neither of these movies are her fault, but her performance right. doesn't work in this. In Stepford Wives, I think she does what she's asked to do incredibly well. In Stepford Wives, she has a character. Her character has a place where she starts yeah. and a place right. where she goes. In <laughs> right. this, they just like sort of plug her in. It's so weird. Right. I don't think this movie is her fault, but she is god awful in this. She's movie. awful in this. It is awful a terrible. Zero percent. It, it's not really her fault. Zero percent her as fault. As you say. I don't know what her character is. She's playing, this character's written like she's 12 years old. Like a child. Or an alien or a robot. It it makes no sense. But not just a 12-year-old, a dumb 12-year-old. Yeah, who's never been outside. (laughs) This movie needs a prologue that explains that she like lives in a witchy dimension where technology doesn't exist. This movie (laughs) needs some lady in the water shit where it like, yeah, there's like a narrator who's like in the, you know, since time immemorial, witches have, and then lay it out for me, baby. But also then they're very inconsistent. Like then she does know how credit cards work and right. then she's really good at things. And then about 30 minutes into the movie, they decide that she knows everything and is very smart and has been in the world before. But but here's another thing. Like, spoiler alert, everyone else we find out is a witch in this movie 
seems a lot more comfortable existing in the human world. Which raises the question, is she not from a human world? <laughs> they, they try to explain at the end, if you leave, you can't come back for a hundred years. But then she goes, that's not true. <laughs> I don't know what the mythology of this movie is. And Michael Caine clearly fucks mortal women all the time. Right, all like the time. It, it either needs a prologue explaining that she's from like Brigadoon, or it needs to be witches coexist among us silently. She gets everything. She's it. a normal human being. She just has magic powers. I just glom the Sabrina the Teenage Witch world onto this movie. That's how I yes. have to think about it. It's like witches can live in our world, but there is also a witch realm that they can also live in. They can move between them. And it's really neither here nor there what they decide to do. But I'm pretty sure in the original Bewitched, there wasn't a witch realm. Uh, correct. It no, was just, like, just people, like, witches live among us. Right. And that's a thing. They know in how secret. credit cards work because they live in our world. They just are magic and everything works for them. We have so much to talk about. I want to get through Feral so that we can get to, because I have okay. an article. I found a really good resource about the okay. development history okay. of this movie. So I Will, cannot wait. Will Ferrell, <laughs> obviously an SNL star. Now, here's my big question before we run through the films in chronology. Has, has any movie star had their success so, so directly tied to one collaborator as Will Ferrell in terms of the discrepancy between the good movies and the bad movies? I, yeah, I know what you mean, right? Because it would be like, if Will Ferrell's not working with Adam McKay, it's a write-off. It's, it's almost always a, a red flag. And there are exceptions. There are ones that are hits, but that the haven't thing necessarily is, I would say aged no, super because well. Because his, his emergence is not tied to That's Adam what's crazy. It's, but yeah. once he makes Anchorman, it's like you can tell whether the movie is going to be good or not. Elf is right before Elf is the, Anchorman. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's, before it, he has a good run working yeah. up from character actor to movie star. And then yeah. once he makes his first McKay movie, it is like, A, most of the non-McKay movies flop. B, the McKay movie, the non-McKay movies that succeed at the time have not aged perfectly well. I'm not saying they've no. aged poorly, but people don't no, no, think no, about yeah, them. No, no, but no, yeah, 100%. So here's Will Ferrell. He's on okay. SNL, obviously. It's very funny. Yep. I assume you guys agree that Will Ferrell has the capacity to be a tremendously funny comedian. He's, he, yeah, he, is, he is a perfect sketch comedian. I, I, I'm not saying that in a backhanded way against his movie career. He is just one of those people who is so perfectly suited for sketch he's comedy. He's very... He throws his whole th body into it. Yes. Yes. If he's yes. in a thing, you're immediately like, I want to know what he is doing. He also does does funny faces. Like, yes. you know, there's very like people faces. like Jim Carrey that just know how to do a funny face. Will Ferrell has a can do a funny face. But, but it, in a way, unlike Jim Carrey, it feels like, oh, there's something just inherently funny about this guy. Like when Jim Carrey does a serious interview... You're like, oh, wow, Jim Carrey's really drained of all comedic energy here, you know? Right, right, right. But when Will Ferrell is serious, there's still something funny about him. It, it's just it's, like... It's a problem. His, he's got a perfect body for comedy. His yes. eyes are so beady. His I mean, height is funny. Like, everything about him is just But it's the thing about Downhill, just, just was it this year, Downhill, yes. where, like, they're like, oh, God, you know, this... It's about this guy who's just sort of exposed as a bit of a buffoon. Like he yeah. sees himself as, and I'm like, you cannot cast Will Ferrell for this. This is malpractice. And this movie has the exact same problem, which is just like you know this guy's a buffoon, and you know he's gonna fucking lose it. There's yes, no tension. It's ridiculous. To, Will he or won't he? 
in a Will it's Ferrell e- movie. I would say, I would argue it's even more ridiculous in 2020. In 2005, I suppose, Hollywood's still trying to be like, can he play a regular guy? Right. You know, like... The, well, because anyway. this is the other thing is, as much as we're saying he's a perfect sketch comedian, he does not feel like an obvious choice to become a movie star. In in any sense, there isn't like a clear sure. pathway in ahead to but how does this guy Mike become Myers. a movie man? You know, right. or whatever, right? I feel like the other important through line in the characters he plays is there is that like childishness. Like he's yes. a he's an over he's a man child. He's an overgrown boy, right. which also then is like, well, you can't really be romantic interest because no. adult women aren't sexually attracted to men man childs. I don't know what the plural of that is. Man children. <laughs> Men children. Right. No, that's why it's especially weird when, like, right. Zoe Deschanel and him go on oh, a date yes. in Elf. Because he's yes. literally, like, has the mind of a child. Yeah, like, okay, if you're going to throw a romance into a Will Ferrell movie, like, okay, but that can't be the point. That's just, like, a gross thing no, that I guess you can't be in. the point. The, the best call. ones are the ones where the romantic subplot feels like a parody of romantic subplots. Like Talladega Amy Adams Nights. and Talladega Nights, yes, uh, right. Christina Applegate. Anchorman. Right. I mean, right. well, the like, fact that the other guys, the joke is that he's married to Eva Mendes. Right. And the whole time yeah. Mark Wahlberg is like, I don't, I don't understand. We have to begin with how did you marry this woman? Like anytime they're talking and he's, oh, it, that, I, that's a good joke. In, right. In, I just think guys. about there's like a quote. Uh, I, I remember Fincher doing some interview after uh, the whole extended casting process of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Remember that when there was like a year of people breathlessly speculating. (laughs) Right. And it had apparently come down to Scarlett Johansson and Rooney Mara. Yeah, I pierced my nipple for that role. Didn't even get a callback. I I did too. And I didn't even get a first read. (sighs) I did too. Um, And I wasn't even auditioning. No. (laughs) We just all had the fever. We'd gotten Elizabeth bug. Um, but he said this thing that I think about all the time where he was like, look, Scarlett Johansson gave a, gr- a really great audition. I was very impressed. I didn't think she had it in her. But what it boiled down to for me was Scarlett Johansson was acting. Like Scarlett Johansson was doing a really good job acting in a way I had not seen her do before. But Rooney Mara is inherently weird. Like there's something just inherently <laughs> right. weird about her. Her she energy. So good in that movie. He looked at her and he's like, "This woman has never eaten a pie before." Right. He's <laughs> just like, everything about you is fucking strange. And with a movie like this, and the way I work, what's important is what is the inherent movie star quality that you have, which is what is the thing that at four o'clock in the morning, when we've been filming for sixteen hours and we're on the hundredth take, cannot be beaten out of you. You know, it's just like. What is the thing that is just innately in you that I will get on screen every single second I shoot of you? And I feel like with Will Ferrell, it's a similar thing that Hollywood has constantly struggled with outside of McKay, which is like, how do you use what he's good at and how do you not apply him to things that he fundamentally doesn't click doing? Because there are just these things about him that are so inherently there, even when he tries to play serious, you know, even when he's playing more of a character, even when he's playing more of an everyman. It's just like there's shit that you just cannot control with him. Um, but so welfare. Yes, yes. Go ahead. SNL. Um, then it's sort of like building SNL. this career of he like does small parts. The first two Austin, Austin Powers, Powers. Dick. Uh, he does, you know, a couple of movies that are based on sketches. Night at the Roxbury. He's uh, very Superstar. funny in Dick in a very small He's role. very funny in Dick. Right. He Great does movie. all three. That's those three Paramount SNL movies that come out one year after another when Lauren Michaels is like, I'm going to make an SNL movie. 
every year. Every fall, right. there'll be a new See, SNL movie. Right. And Night of the Roxbury, is, then Superstar, then The Ladies Man. He is co-lead in all of them. I believe he's second build in all three of those movies. That sounds plausible. I'm looking up the lead. The Ladies Man is the one I remember the least, even though it might be the funniest of those three movies. He, I think uh, so. He is fundamentally the second lead of that movie. He is the antagonist. Sure. Um, and then... You know, and he'll pop. Then, yeah, he's the villain in old in Zoolander. Yeah, right. He's getting a little and bigger. And then love old him. school, yeah. old school. He's just doing that thing where it's like he's the wild card, right? Like he doesn't. Right. He's a co lead, but he doesn't need to be playing a realistic person. But it's, he's it's silly. He's in a perfect strike zone. It's a, a comedy, but he's playing it a little bit more like an actual human being than he maybe has been asked to do in the past. So it's showing like, oh, maybe you can put him in a less heightened environment, even though that movie is obviously heightened. But I think the line at the time was, okay, but you still you can't make him a leading man like that movie works because he's the third guy. You know, he gets his sections to run wild. But but I will say I do think I know I like old school a lot more than you do. And a lot of it does not hold up well. But I think that movie has just never meant anything to me. I feel like a lot of people watch it all the time. Yeah. I've that seen movie, it like twice. It was a big one for me at the time. It was, I think, for me, what like Wedding Crashers was for a lot of people, which was a movie that was never anything for me. But of that era, those slack pack movies, that was the one that like clicked for me. I do think he plays the scenes with the dissolution of his marriage with with actual pathos. He's a good actor, or right? Can that's be. the thing. But that was like that was a turning point of like, oh, this guy could maybe handle the emotional scenes if you push him up to a lead. But I feel like at the moment that Elf happens, people were like. This can't sustain an entire movie. Everything Elf about is that 10 movie, months later. Right. That right. seemed like you can't pin the whole movie on him. And this premise seems wafer thin. How is that going to last? And the trailers are all you feel like I've seen all the jokes and Elf yeah. is a whole movie. And I remember feeling this when I watched it where you're like, oh, they're pulling it off. Like the whole time yeah. is you being I love like, Elf. Oh, they, yeah, they haven't Elf fucked fan. up. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Elf's great. And is, is I mean, like the only like. I know how we. David, you and I feel about one of these movies. I'm curious to hear Dana's opinion. But I feel like there are only two movies that have, like, entered the Christmas canon in the last 20 years successfully. And they're Elf and Love Actually. Yeah. And I think Love Actually is pretty much a war crime. Terrible movie. Yeah, I think as a, as a film, it does not work. I think there's, 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 uh, there's sections, chapters, that there's sections of it that I enjoy, yes. and I think yeah. I'm... I have like a nostalgic attachment to it, but like if I'm looking at it through like the cold lens of like, is this a movie? Like, no, it's it's not a movie. I think, it opens I, with that monologue about 9 11. Yep, yes, it does. Yes, 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 it does. It does. One I day think, I'll do a commentary for that movie for the Patreon <laughs> that's just me screaming. Yeah, but, but I, I do like Elf. I haven't, I haven't seen it for a long time, but I, I would hope it holds up. I feel like I've watched it like on TBS a thousand times. I, I, I love it. I think it's I a masterpiece. It I watch it with yeah. my family once a year. We almost always watch it on Christmas, or at least my sister and I. I think it just really fucking works. But that's the moment. Anchorman's in production. That's yeah. already going to happen. But now, he like that movie made $175 million domestically. It was huge hit. It was a domestic hit. It was not a big international hit. The no. important thing that we do need to flag about Elf, though, is I think the only part that doesn't work, as we were talking about earlier, yes. is the, the subplot with Zoe Deschanel, the love interest. And, and for the exact reason you said, it's just he's a child. He's a child. 
And she's playing to the top of her intelligence in that movie. I think she's very good in that movie. But you just at, never at any point believe that she would view him as a sexual entity. It's not her fault, right. but just make them friends. That's fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally she, fine. He can teach her the magic of Christmas and they can be friends. No, Absolutely I don't think anyone fine. sees the baby at the end and is like, I'm okay with this. Right. I don't it's, want to imagine him having sex. I don't want no. to imagine Buddy the Elf like being like, ugh. It feels perfunctory, and then when no. Anchorman comes out like <laughs> six or seven months sound. later, and yeah. all of the sexual stuff in Anchorman is treated like a joke, you're like, this feels more comfortable. This is yeah. how this should work. He can play as ridiculous as he wants to, and it, it's all, and nothing has any real stakes here. That movie does well. It obviously grows a lot more past its initial release, but it's yes. not as big of a hit as Anchorman. But this 2005 is the year where it's like, right. okay. He's everywhere. Now we're going to start giving him 15 to $20 million paychecks. He's in five movies. He's yeah. in Woody Allen's Melinda and Melinda, which is <sighs> a movie I've seen. I don't yes. really remember that well, but I remember it being fairly bad. I um, think he's all right now. He's fine in it. He's playing the Woody Allen, right? Which is he's, weird. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just the whole, right? It's like Rada Mitchell has two versions of the same story one is comedy. this has the tragic. makings of a great comedy or a delicious tragedy that's my wallace sean i'm Come sorry in. it's not better Come in. <laughs> um that movie goes nowhere yeah correct uh kicking and screaming which is the uh soccer the kid soccer comedy mm-hmm. with josh directed hutcherson. by bob dylan's son yes with josh hutcherson uh that is sort of like the perfect example of Hollywood looking at his output till now and just being like, should you just yell all the time? Like, <laughs> yes. Let's just construct a project around you screaming your head off. That's also a movie where the director got fired like a week into production. Bob Dylan's son was like a pinch hitter on that movie because it hey. was going so catastrophically wrong like five days in. But that's also this thing that I feel like is very often the downfall of most comedy leading men which is you become so valuable your quote becomes so high that if a script is actually good they don't want to give it to you because if a script is funny you can hire someone who isn't expensive yet and they'll make it funny what you want to pay someone 20 million dollars to do is a high concept comedy where they're like on paper, this seems to us like it should be funny, but no one has successfully written any jokes for it. If we hire you, you will, through sheer force of will, make it funny, right? They'll just scream the lines and the audience will laugh out so of habit. Does. Right. Oh, you'll do your improvs or whatever. and You'll make it funny. Like, that's how Eddie Murphy ends up doing Meet Dave is just like he costs too much money where the only scripts that are going to get offered to him are it's blank does a blank. It's blank inside of a blank. Blank works as a blank. And they're just like, you You take care of making jokes. Mike Ditka is third build in that movie. Anyway, that movie's insane. As himself. Um, and uh, and who's second movie. build in that movie? Uh, Robert, Robert Duvall, Duvall, right? Yes, Academy Award winner Robert is, Duvall. I saw it on a plane. He's the like, the, his dad is the rival, right? The rival coach. It's a comedy version of Great Santini sent around, centered around the suburban soccer league. Yes, right, yes. Right. Where Mike Ditka some has point, a large role. Yeah, Mike Dick is like his neighbor or something. Yeah, I, there's, a, there's all this stuff with his Mike His assistant Dicka. coach. Yes, it's a terrible movie. Okay. Fourth is his small appearance in Wedding Crashers, obviously uh-huh. the biggest hit of the bunch. Right. And then uh, fifth is The Producers. The third is Bewitched. We'll talk about right. Bewitched. And, and the other thing is Producers. He just plays the Nazi in Producers, right? He does. Yeah, but, he's the, uh, the, the crazy guy with the pigeons. 
Um, but we all remember his very deserved uh, Golden, Globe uh, Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actor for that movie. What? No, Dana, yeah. of course you remember that because we were all talking about that performance in 2005. <laughs> I mean, the producers, which was all, you know, uh, Nicole Kibben was supposed to be in, correct? And was yes. recast with Uma Thurman. They almost uh, did four, two movies together. They were almost our new Hepburn and Tracy. <laughs> four, four Golden Globe nominations. Yeah. Picture, actor, supporting actor, original song. But this is, got this is a by perfect example of this, like, this, this comedy A-lister thing where they were like, okay, let's test you out. What can we slot you into? Like what works? Does he do Stranger Than Fiction somewhere in this time? That Following is year. Uh, the next year. Oh, the next God. year is you know is a goddamn glut as well because you got that you got Talladega Nights which is obviously a genuine hit. Huge. You have that indie movie Winter Passing that doesn't exist and doesn't exist. Uh, isn't he a voice in Curious George? Is that a, He's the I man with the yellow that. hat. And we right. all remember that of course for Stranger Than Fiction he got his second. Golden Globe nomination for best lead actor in a comedy. He has two? Does he have more he than that? Two in two back-to-back years. I the weird thing about Stranger Than Fiction is I feel like I almost like that movie and he's so miscast to me that it it upsets the whole balance of the film. That movie is just not as good as it should be. No. Well, that's it. I, that's what's so yeah. frustrating about it is I like Maggie Gyllenhaal and I'm like, it's I so close. I think Maggie Gyllenhaal's really good in that movie. Yeah, and yeah. he's so off. His tone is so different than the tone of the rest of the movie. But I think it's that same thing too of just like you watch. A, I remember my dad seeing About Schmidt, a movie I'm curious to rewatch, but I asked him how it was and he said, it's just weird. You spend the whole movie waiting for the scene where Jack Nicholson pops and it never happens. That's crazy. That movie rules. I agree with you. And I, ju- I think that's just, that was my dad's preconceived notions. But his take on it was, you know Jack Nicholson is capable of being Jack Nicholson. I assume if you cast him, it's because there's going to be some scene where he finally loses it, you know? And I think in that example, that is a- an incorrect expectation. But I think with Will Ferrell, you put him in a movie in something like Stranger Than Fiction, you're like, Okay, Will Ferrell is mild-mannered in Act 1. Act 3, he's going to lose his shit, right? Something's got to happen. Otherwise, you don't cast him. Right, he's got to blow his top. They gave us him blowing his top in the trailer. I remember that very distinctly. Right. So much screaming. Yes. (laughs) He didn't need to scream. This era was just, oh, five times a year, you see a trailer in which Will Ferrell screams. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway. So this is just, but I think this movie is, this is the perfect example of Hollywood not knowing what to do with him, trying to slot him into the uh, more traditional rom-com-y, like, you'll be funny, sure, but you can also be a leading man, right? Like, yes. you, can do a, you can do it all. Um, I don't know if there's a version of this movie where Will Ferrell is playing a more conventionally appealing person. I, obviously, this movie is completely hamstrung by the, you know, insane concept. Like, yes. It's hard for anyone to be real. The, the most fucking grounded character is like Stephen Colbert. Yeah. yeah. Who just looks concerned. And wears nice sweaters. But Where's a nice sweater? To wrap up this, this uh, feral loop, I feel like after the, that two-year run you're talking about and Talladega Nights being far and away the biggest hit of that two-year run, he's sort of like, okay, I got to stay in my like Gary Sanchez, Adam McKay lane. They have yep. their production company. If a movie isn't directed by McKay, it's very often produced by McKay. It was very often developed by McKay. The ones that are less good are very often things that 
McKay helped incubate and then said, I'll let other people make them. Like, things Blades like... Glory. Yeah, and Land of the Lost, which is really, really fucking strange, but started out as a McKay movie and right. then became, like, a very overblown, overbudget thing. Um, but it's it's stuck between those two zones rather than just being, let's slot Will Ferrell into some old TV show. But then it is, like, I remember people constantly being like, oh, Will Ferrell's star is done. He just had two big flops. And then another McKay movie would come out, and it was like, no. oh, he's rebounded. It's the other guys. People like him again. It's a hit. And Bewitched is predicated on the idea that if an actor, if a movie star has a big flop, his career is over and everyone hates him. Women in, uh, in coffee shops, waitresses. Yes. He is universally derided because he had a big flop. They hold it against white men so hard if they have one flop. They never get to work again. Uh, a couple things I want to say. One, um, I guess I'm trying to think, will it, have, will it have come out by the time? I think it'll have come out, um, but Netflix has a Eurovision movie. Yes, directed by David Dobkin, director of The Judge. I, is, I believe coming out the day this releases or somewhere okay. around there. With, that, with Rachel I, McAdams. Yes. And Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> and I hear that that movie completely rules. Like everyone is really? telling me how good it is. Yes. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> I love Eurovision. I, like, Serious film critics that I know have watched their screener multiple times. Wow. Someone told me it made them cry. Like, <laughs> oh my while God. mostly being like, it's funny. I was ready for that to be a calamity. Maybe it's also being everyone being stir crazy, but the sure. hype on that one is good. But it does sort of, it, that one looks more like a Holmes and Watson where you're like, well, this is probably going to be something we just ignore. I, right? When Holmes and Watson came out, I was a, a writing for Entertainment Weekly. Mm. They did not have any uh, press screenings. I'm sorry, for I'm that sorry Dana, we're just going to have to take another take of that. Can you say that again very quickly? Sure. When Holmes and Watson came out, I was... Ew. Uh, oh, I, I, no, I'm sorry. I was, I was, I was overeager. Get, let's take three. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. When Holmes and Watson came out, I was uh, writing at Entertainment Weekly. Ew. And- <laughs> okay. Keeping, ben, keeping all there three There we go. Tips. Great. Uh, and I, uh, there were no press screenings for that film, which I no, had to they write. they did not hold press screenings for that. I had to write a review for, and I believe uh, I was assigned that, that movie because it came out on Christmas Day, and they knew that as a Jewish person mm. with no family in Los Angeles, they were yeah. like, well, Dana has nothing else to do. So at 10 in the morning, I went alone to the Grove wow. to see Holmes and Watson alone <laughs> on Christmas Day, and it was, uh, I think, probably the worst Christmas I've ever had. <sighs> Holmes and Watson. They don't have a clue. As I was as I was leaving the theater, I overheard two strangers say that movie was fucking awful. <laughs> two people who voluntarily saw that movie at 10 a.m. on Christmas Day, presumably because they didn't have to review it somewhere people else. People were vicious about that movie. I mean, it was the worst reviewed yeah. movie of that year. It won the Razzie for Best Picture and Best Director. Like it, it was right. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, but that's that's another thing is like, okay, so he has this period where it's like the McKay-directed movies are the highs, but then you have like Blades of Glory will do well in this and that. And then it's the point where McKay is like, wait a second, I want to be very serious. And not only does he stop directing comedies, but he also stops developing them and producing them with Farrell. He's so much more in like the succession lane and they've now dissolved Gary Sanchez. That's when Farrell is really like, now we're into get hard territory to daddy's yep. homes, how Holmes much, and Watson. How much do you think it broke Will Ferrell's heart that he wasn't W and Vice? Oh, man. I, I wonder. I wonder if that was a conversation where they were like, we can't do that. Yeah, I wonder. 
It would break. I mean, um, it would break the movie. It would what, break the movie, but right. fucking break that movie. What do I care? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I would kind of like to see McKay figure out how to use him in a McKay movie. Well, I, I look, Anchorman 2 is what I saw it once and I've not revisited. And a couple people have been like, check it out again. There's something there. And I've been like, eh, we'll see. I haven't really gone back to that. My take on that movie is that's a movie made by someone who doesn't want to be making comedies anymore. Yeah, that, I sort of agree. That right, and there and what funny stuff there is is because you have these funny actors and they're doing things. There, but there like, are individual eh. bits in it. The best right, performance right. in that movie, comedically, Greg Kinnear kills it. Kinnear's I, funny. I love yeah. Kinnear. Um, I'm a big Kinnear head. Oh yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is a very pro Kinnear podcast. But like post Anchorman two, his hits are the Lego Movie and the Daddy's Homes. Yeah, uh, like the Lego movie, I think he's actually he's really wonderful in that. But like, obviously, that's but both the live action role. and the voiceover. I think he is incredibly good in that. In the second one, he's a cameo. In the yeah, second one is barely yeah. in it. Um, but uh, and the daddy's homes are. I mean, I, there's even people have tried to talk me into those, and I've tried. I to find them. I have, I have no, not been able. No. I can't watch the second one. I'm not fully defending them. I think there's stuff in the first one that is incredibly strange and interesting. I, him and Wahlberg are very funny in the other guys. Like It's not like they are not uh, a good team. I'm, first, I'm not the arguing. The first one, fine. The second one, I, I, I Hey, look, I have not watched the second one. I can't deal with the second one. I refuse to deal with the second one. John Lithgow's reveal in the trailer, one of the great moments of comedy, but I'm not watching that fucking movie. The yeah. first one now, has some good bits in it. It's not a now, particularly good movie. It has some good bits in it. And let's just pull back though, because I do. Like, I think Farrell will figure it out. He'll do something else. Like I don't know. Maybe he'll make a movie with McKay again. Maybe he'll. Maybe Eurovision I, wins do, Best Picture. He's yeah, supposed maybe to do it wins some Best Picture. Maybe series should. with Paul Rudd. I don't know. Like but, I don't know. Uh, Eurovision is perfect. He'll probably do a funny voice and be yes. like a big character, and everyone He's wearing will a like wig. it. Yes. Yeah. Great. I think it's what people want out of him. Yeah. One hundred. That's what I want out of him. I don't. Yes. I want him to do a silly voice and make me laugh and sing a song, and and be in a comedy. Yes. Um, bewitched. Yeah. Okay. Can I Nora read through Efron's this? Bewitched. Yes. Re- speed round through this. Okay. So the movie is set up in the nineties. Okay. This is when there's sort of this like feeding frenzy for like fifteen years on. The shows that are in syndication need to be made into movies. <laughs> Be they animated, be they live action, sitcom, dramatic. Like, everything's getting fucking turned into a movie. Like, Adam's Family, Fugitive, Brady Bunch. Yeah. You know, the Jetsons movie. Like, all these 60s, 70s, 50s TV shows are getting regurgitated. And it's just, like, peak syndication, reruns, cable. You have these shows that now, like, three generations have lived with. And for Hollywood, that's, like, dollar signs in the eyes. Exactly. Uh, I think that's brand, the calculation. Brand recognition, 100%. Right. And just the existence of cable TV and, like you say, reruns has right. just burned these things into the collective consciousness, whether or not you've even seen them. Like, right. So there's it's, the Scooby-Doo the movie, right? Like, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know what's a crazy one that I think about? The George of the Jungle movie coming out in the 90s and us being like, oh, yeah, George of the Jungle movie. I know George of the Jungle. George, I know the George. song. That show. Exactly. You know the song had less than 15 episodes in total. It had right. one season that ran in the 70s, and 20 years later, we still knew it deeply because there was not enough original programming for children that those 12 episodes were still being replayed at Infinium. And then, 
following the Brendan Fraser thing, he was in a Dudley do right movie. He was. Right. Like, so that was them. Shit. That was them going too far, though. That was them being like, "We can we do anything?" No. <laughs> but like Not for a the, segment from Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. But think about it this way: as like an equivalent, if you were to tomorrow announce a live-action Ah Reels Monsters movie, that would be pitched at '90s kid nostalgia. It I'm would in. Mean, Nothing. I, I would watch that but, movie. But, but that's my point. We would be into it, right? I don't yes, think that would right. mean it, anything that has inherently not mean, to a six-year-old. No, you're right. Because things have grown more diffuse and there's not like, yeah. A you're monoculture. Right. Yeah. right. But we, hey, uh, give me that all real monsters. Come on. Come on. So come on. Give me, a, give me a live action rocket power. I want to see people surf on waves that are the size of a city skyscraper. I, I am here great. for all of these. But it's very much the point that the things don't have the same sort of meaning. I do think now we're seeing Friends and The Office hit a level that we ha- like viewed Happy Days at when we were young and watching like Nick at Night, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the, the success of those shows on streaming services shows that same kind of thing of like, I want to watch the past generation's comfort food. Um, but in the 90s, the film is set up. It's bought by Paramount for a large amount of money. The rights, because it's so high concept, it's one of those shows that replays. Everyone knows the theme song. Everyone knows the nose wiggle. The advertising campaign sets itself up. It's originally supposed to be a, a Ted Bessel. Is Same. It's what? supposed to direct it. An actor. Who? Okay. Ted Bessel, who I think had mostly done sitcoms. Okay. Um, but it's, it's set up by Penny Marshall's first look deal at Paramount with Bessel supposed to do it. And she hires a former staff writer named Monica Johnson from Laverne and Shirley to do it. Then Richard Curtis takes a crack at the script. Then Douglas Carter Bean takes a, a, a crack at the script. So already, first, first strike at making a Bewitch movie in the early 90s, they're like, huh, this is weirdly difficult. No one can crack this. We're getting increasingly overqualified writers to try to tackle what seems like it should be a gimme. And no one can find any way to make a fucking movie out of this. And I then, imagine at this. I imagine at this point, it's not the idea where they're m- making a bewitched. M- absolutely not. TV show. At this okay. point, it is a completely conventional bewitched movie. It is normal guy marries a woman, finds out after wedding that she's a witch. That's all they're trying to do. They're trying to take the shortest walk to a bewitched movie. Yes. yes. Then Ted Bessel dies, suddenly of an erotic aneurysm. Okay, so the whole yeah. thing is halted. It's done. The thing's shut down. Then Penny Marshall goes, fuck it. I'm not giving up on that Bewitch movie premise. It seems like at no point does she want to direct this herself. But she, she gets... produce it. Yes. It, this movie is two main producer credits, Penny Marshall and Nora Ephron. Yep. Um, so she carries the movie over to Sony, where I think she's set up at the time. They go through whoever is hot at that moment. Cameron Diaz, Kristen Davis, Lisa Kudrow, Gwyneth Paltrow, Alyssa Silverstone, Reese Weatherspoon. Uh, everyone has sort of talked about it. Um, and uh, Ellen Simon, who wrote One Fine Day, uh, Larice Alshanani, who wrote My Girl, the Brady Bunch movie, all, everyone's taking crack at it and no one's getting anywhere. There's a certain point where it morphs into Jim Carrey is loosely attached to the movie, but the movie, without being about the making of a witch TV show, is maybe taking more of a self-knowing Brady Bunch tone. And one of the big conceits of the movie is that halfway through, the actor playing Darren is going to change. That was funny. Sure. One of the things the sitcom is famous for is replacing the actor, Dick York, 
Right. Literally just, he just quit because he was fucking tired, right? Like, he was, what, like, ill, and he was yes, like, I can't do this anymore. What came out at the end of anymore. his life was he had had a really bad injury, I think, in the war, and then had a bad surgery and became addicted to painkillers after oh, it. Oh, that's sad. And he yeah. was, was struggling with both uh, his pain and his drug addiction, and there was, like, a day where everything came to a head on set, and he said, like, I need to step away yeah, from I this. Yeah, I think he collapsed on set or something yeah. like that. And it, there's just like, it's it's like the director was just like, do you want to quit? And he was like, if that's all right with you. Yeah. And they, instead of just being like, you know what? We did five seasons. Let's wrap it up. They're like, fucking get, yeah, all right. Get someone else. Like, right. We're going to get a new Darren Another right strong-jawed white guy. Right, and yep. it went from Dick York to Dick Sargent. It was like, yep. the joke was like, they both have the same first name. They look kind of similar. When you're watching in syndication and they're in out of order, you're always trying to remember which one it is you're watching. So they were like, oh, maybe that's a hook of the movie is like you do the Brady Bunch movie style thing where you're sort of playing off the tropes of the sitcom while existing in the world of the sitcom. But you have one actress playing Samantha, two big comedy stars playing Darren and you switch them halfway through. And for a long time, it was like. Jim Carrey's on board. They're having a hard time finding another equally famous actor who's willing to only be in half the movie. And Jim Carrey was bandied about because apparently Dick York was one of his big inspirations and they look really similar. So he wanted to do it. Yeah. But then in the mid 2000s, early 2000s, this is like the same position that Green Hornet was in. Where someone's oh, no. just going like, we've been sitting on this property for fucking 20 yes. years. We have to make something. That's that's what happens. It becomes a right. thing where they're just like, if we don't make a Bewitched movie, I'm going to blow up this studio. Right. I swear. <laughs> I've been in too many meetings about Bewitched for us to not exactly. make it now. Things have gone too far. The next Bewitched pitch in the door gets an automatic <laughs> right, Exactly. That's really what it was. So, so Amy Pascal calls up Nora Ephron, who she's close with, has worked with before, and says like, Nora... I need someone to rescue Bewitched. Anything. Anything. And First Nora's thought, like, thought. Right, right. And truly, I think she just says, look, I wouldn't be interested in making a movie about that TV show. Is there anything to making a movie about someone trying to make the TV show? And she goes, yes, absolutely. Here you go, Greenlight. Like, it was just sort of like full speed ahead. What if a novelist or TV writer wrote about how hard it is to write yes. a novel or a, or a film? Well... Has anyone well, ever thought of that? Well, I I get it. Because I get how that pitch can seem appealing. Because, like you say, Bewitched is famous for switching actors anyway, right? Uh-huh. So you can sort of do a jokey and, like, what, things are getting rebooted. We got Scooby-Doo movies, right? You, I can see why they're like, yeah, perfect. That's a funny angle on an old-fashioned thing. There's one more wrinkle here in the development process, yeah. which ties the whole mm-hmm. room together. It's that Nicole Kidman had already loosely been in talks for the nebulous, we don't have a script, she would be a good star for Bewitched. Then she wins the Oscar, and everyone's like, fuck, she looks a lot like Elizabeth Montgomery, now she's a big movie star, we assume she's going to become a big mainstream comedy star. So we have to lock this shit down. Right. From The Hours. Her performance in The Hours was so side-splittingly funny. Right. We need to lock this shit down, though. Because, yes, obviously, she made us yuck with The Hours, and people are going to want to keep that train rolling. So they signed Nicole Kidman to a $17.5 million pay-or-play contract. Nicole Kidman will get $17.5 million even if the movie doesn't get made. That's what that means. Hey. Hey. Yeah. 
get it, Nicole. But so that's when Amy Pascal reaches out to Nora Ephron and is like, anything. We have Nicole Kidman. There's a ticking clock. I've been, I've seen too many versions of this movie. It has to be this. So then they go back to Jim Carrey and they go, Jim, we got Nora Ephron on board. We got a, a real filmmaker on board and Nicole's on board. Are you down to do it? He's less into doing the one that isn't meta in the way that he thought he was going to do. Right. And so he leaves it for fun and dick with Jane, uh, fun with Dick and Jane. And that's when they're like, we need to slot in who who is like the new Jim Carrey. Like who else is just in that zone of like funny man? Let's not even think of what their persona is. Who is just an A-list comedy star? Because this role kind of makes more sense with Jim Carrey. Well, Jim Carrey, as you said, looks a lot like Dick York, but because he, he has yes. that sort of old sorry, I knocked my mic. He sort of has that old school Hollywood face, like that jaw mm-hmm. and that chin. And the hair, like he looks like a 1950s movie star when he's not being silly. Yeah, he's and I look. I think Will Ferrell is handsome, but he is more like sort of adorable. I would guess, yeah, or lovable yeah. or something. He's, he's cuddly. Yeah, Jim Carrey, he's cuddly. Jim Carrey's hot. Like, Jim Carrey's hot. Yeah, he Jim, can fuck Jim me. Carrey. Like can he's be a, hot. A very beautiful man. Yeah, Jim, like Jim Carrey and Liar Liar is like a great, like kind of hot dirtbag white guy. <laughs> So okay, so in now suit. I, I like am I too horny on Maine? Like he's hot. <laughs> yeah. No, he is. And even just when like he's like in his sort of like off the uh, you know uh, off the farm like bearded like dirty white t shirt zone. I'm like, but he's the hottest version of that. Like he he's just got that energy. And this is a thing, Dana. I feel like you asked at the beginning of the episode, and now that we've done all the table setting, we can get into the many questions about the internal logic of this movie. What kind of star is Will Ferrell supposed to be in this movie? It is a thing that drives me crazy in movies about fictional movie stars where you cannot even identify an analog for what he's supposed to be. Because it's like, it seems like, are we supposed to accept that Will Ferrell is a very self-serious, conventional, A-list drama star? Because that seems to be the types of projects they talk about. Then the midsection where he gives her like the comedy lessons, it seems like, this is a guy who came out of sketch comedy and learned like funny faces and funny walks and is teaching her pratfalls. And then you see all the clips of the movies he's been in and all of them are like bad prestige movies. Yeah, like serious. They're, they're parodies of incredibly serious movies. But right. the and I'm putting joke in quotes like the joke is that in these prestige serious movies, he's like doing bad mugging. Right, because yeah. Will Ferrell does not look okay. like he is a guy who was in Mel Gibson movies. If that's Remind what we're supposed me. to believe he was. The thing There's that the Sherpa find, one. Yes. What are the other parodies? I'm there's already a boxing forgetting. one. Right. And yes, then there's a Vietnam right. one. The Vietnam one. Right. right Those are the right, three right, you see. Right. Yeah. Right. There's the thing that's most infuriating to me that I could not wrap my head around was also that he is a hated movie star. That like yes. women, women are right. like, oh, Jack, whatever. Jack, what's his last name? Uh, oh boy, <laughs> I dare so you memorable. to tell me his last name. His last <laughs> name Adam, is Wyatt. Yeah, Jack, Jack Wyatt. Wyatt. But when when they find out that he's with in this Jack Wyatt movie, everyone's like, "Ugh, Jack Wyatt!" Like he's this A list movie star who is in a flop. But like women hate him, sort of. Like was he Me Too? Did he have like a Mel Gibson scandal? His like, wife left him. His wife left him for a male model. Would you think people would have sympathy would, for him? He, yes, he would totally get sympathy for that. And there would she not would be... be dragged extensively. Like this in is our 2005. horrible society. Yes. 
There is no (laughs) way that he ends up hated in that scenario, especially when his big vanity project is that artsy. Like, people just wouldn't care. They keep on talking about how the movie, like, maybe we shouldn't have shot it in black and white. And they say no one saw it, which is fine. Yeah, then he makes another movie. No one saw it. It wasn't offensive. It wasn't like he did blackface. You know what I mean? Like, he's not coming back from a scandal. But something like Tropic Thunder, where you're like, okay, this movie is trying to pretend that, like, Ben Stiller is, like, a Stallone-type character who's had too many flops in a row. Obviously, Ben Stiller does not realistically play like someone who could be that sort of serious, straightforward action star. But I understand this movie takes place on Wackadoo Planet. And at least they've told right. me what kind of star he is. Yeah, they give this, us the fake trailer so we know exactly right. what type yes. of star he is. He's supposed to be Schwarzenegger somehow right. or whatever. Yes. But, right. Or so Tom it's like, Cruise, I thought. Any any one of the them. Any combination of them. In it. But the right. point is, we get, we get the analogs of what he's supposed to be. In this, I'm like, right. are we supposed to accept that when he walks down the street, people view him as a conventionally sexy leading man or not? This is a problem I also have with Birdman, where Birdman, they act like Michael Keaton's character is this like dumb lunkhead jock who's straining for serious credibility. And I'm like, Michael Keaton is fucking weird. Everything about him Michael is Keaton, weird. Uh, yes, has always been unconventional. Right. Yeah, that was the whole People rioted when he was Batman. Like... <laughs> You're never going to convince me that he was like some empty, like, like muscle bound star. Yeah, that, that he needs to try to be taken seriously as an actor. Right. And then the Will Ferrell thing here is the opposite, which is just like the movie is like, are people going to buy him in a sitcom? Yeah. Are they going to do- buy this like hated sort of uh, hacky act hack in yes. a in a cash grab sitcom, which is like. Yeah, of course. That's what this character was Will built Ferrell, for. Will Ferrell, of course, would be, yes. Who could he be? This is now I'm wrecking. I was like, thinking 2018 Ben Affleck is who they're trying, they're going for. They're preemptively. Sure. I have just one a, take. He's just a douchebag, even yeah. though there's not like one thing. It's just that we all know right. he's a douchebag. Right? Can I give you what my take is? Yeah. Knowing Nora Ephron, I kind of feel like this is who she was using as inspiration. Burt Reynolds. Okay, because Burt Reynolds was on a sitcom. That's why. But because, no one yes. hates Burt Reynolds. A waitress okay. wouldn't like spit in his coffee. There was no the no woman in, in the no. right in the regular world was mad at Burt Reynolds. But there he was, was that certainly period a in the famous 80s where it was pain like, in the ass. He became yeah. too big. He became too arrogant. Another messy divorce, and then it was viewed as like a real taking your lumps that he was suddenly on a CBS sitcom. It is crazy that he didn't that he did Evening Shade. Yes, right. that is crazy. So, yes, it doesn't make sense. The public would not lash out at the guy. Burt Reynolds became a joke, and he was broke, and he didn't have a movie career anymore, and him being on a sitcom was weird, and he notoriously had a big ego, but the public didn't treat him this way. And that's the only sort of analog for this where you're like, okay, a guy who wasn't like super self-serious as a movie star, but was... You know, it's it's a Matthew Perry. That's the thing. Uh, that's what I sort of get. That's and it's not, not that, that he's a big movie star. Except that he but, was a TV right. star. Right. It's like he was a big TV star. I, I, I get the vibe that this is like Matthew Perry doing the Odd Couple reboot. Sure. That's my yeah. mental people, analog for this. People are sick of him, I guess, yeah. is probably what it's supposed to be, right? They're just sick of him. Like, right. maybe he didn't do anything specifically evil. They're just like, I've had enough of you. This is a terrible introduction to uh, a romantic lead, though, as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. What's also what's also very weird is that he is never once charming. 
No. They no! early on, early no. on, they they tell us they explicitly say she only took this role because she had a crush on him. Yeah. And you're like, okay, even if this was the first man you've you've ever seen in the human realm, he's yes. incredibly off-putting. Well, he's yes. not charming and he's not flirtatious. And they don't have no. a meet cute. They're like. For someone who's so good at romantic comedies, there's yes. nothing in their interaction where she'd be like, I have a crush on you. I just, I have to say something. Because I, I need this out of my head before I, okay. So the first the first scene of the movie that he's in, apart from that, like when he's at the pitch meeting and he's cold, nice for one Cold minute. Open is, this feels like a Bewitched movie. Cold Open is, Nicole Kidman lands in some Californian suburb. She sees yep. a nice house. And then if I can just take one minute to dissect the logic already, <laughs> tearing apart, tearing itself apart at the seams. She sees this how she likes. Hmm. She wiggles her nose. She magically makes appear a realty sign saying that it's for sale, yeah. right? Griffin, you're, you're pointing out that she manipulates the laws of magic so that she can make a successful real estate transaction rather than just wiggling her nose and be like, I own this house. Or, or I'll make a house. What she wants to do exactly. is go through, wiggle, here's the house, it's for sale. Oh no, additional wiggle, tours today then she, she seems to wiggle into existence a real estate agent who then tells her that she needs referrals and then she wiggles no referrals necessary and closes the deal i wonder what happened to the family who lived in that home they she, she these are the many them. questions it was a pre-existing house that wasn't for sale what if we just saw them all explode into goo like but th- this that's is a, the side effect this is the movie in a microcosm uh why is this movie making everything so much more complicated than it needs to be right <laughs> away before a line of dialogue has been introduced? What, what would be better is if she buys a shitty house that is already for sale and using right. magic makes it nice. We get right. it. Okay. It up. Or she doesn't have the money and she uses magic to increase her bank account. Or she The limits uses of magic her power. <laughs> She's omnipotent. She can do anything. She anything. can control time she can and make reality. Time go backwards. She can She's rewind time. Thanos. So why she is has, she going through magic a myriad of steps of bureaucracy? She has infinity gauntlet powers. She can control time, space, reality. She can do anything she wants. But that is where this movie almost immediately tries to set up the one concept that is trying to do the heavy lifting of what you're saying, Dana, which is she is tired of being able to do anything. She wants her life to be boring and banal. She right. wants She's to sick deal of this. Right. Right. with that the is, daily inconveniences. What is a compelling right. character if not someone who doesn't, who just wants her life to be boring? I yeah. want to deal Love with Love to see a woman with leather. like infinite powers and be like, you know right. what I want to do? Nothing. I wish what? I had less to do. And then she even says, I want to date a man who is like broken and imperfect. <laughs> Like, it's like literally like I need a fixer upper. I want to date a man who sucks. I'm going to say <laughs> as a as a woman who uh, has dated men who suck, it doesn't work. It's not, <laughs> it's not going to make you less existentially tormented. Um, and I, Sorry. I will say uh, I, as a man who has dated women who try to fix me, it doesn't work. <laughs> I'm also the thing that it was interesting about the original Bewitched in a modern context, looking back on it, is she tells Darren, her husband, Samantha tells Darren that she's a witch. And mm-hmm. he, in a 1950s, 60s housewife way, doesn't want her using magic in a sort of analog to like, I don't yes. want my wife to work. That's it sort is, of the joke and tension of the original sitcom is, is this very idea much that it's, it's like, time. Yes. well, now you're married and you know what that means. You don't do your job. And she tries and there's some fun right. tension there. 
And that's the interesting tension that I would want to see confronted in a modern bewitch. But instead, they're like, what if she just doesn't want to use magic because there are no consequences (laughs) to her using magic. There's no reason or social tension. Just uh, she doesn't want to, but then she will forever. Like she never stops using magic. And it's almost like they're trying to set up an elf premise where it's like, okay, it's a fish out of water comedy. It's someone who comes from such a different world where everything operates so differently that it's about them trying to understand how normal people live. But as you said, there's no tension inherent in her character because she keeps on breaking her own rules. It's just the idea that she's saying, I want to not use magic. But there's nothing at stake in either direction for her. And David, just like how you were talking about that they don't establish like a witch realm, what works about Elf, first of all, is everyone knows the lore of the North Pole. That is a collective vocabulary we all have. Mm -hmm. And then the movie additionally established, we see a world of the North Pole as it exists. So then when he makes jokes about the North Pole, we all know, oh, ha ha, that's what it's like up there. This, we don't know what being a witch is like. No, this movie, as I said, needs to open either with five to ten minutes in like (laughs) a bog, right? Like in like the moors with her talking to like fucking Merlin. No. And just explain that she like grows up in like an alternate dimension in a cave before she comes to the world. And you go, it's not sitcom coding witch. It's not just she wiggles her nose. She actually comes out of like some different fantasy realm. But a fantasy realm where you understand that sometimes apartments for rent have showings that day. (laughs) Right. Here's what happens in the movie. She is revealed to be a witch and her experience of being a witch is that she has unlimited powers. And then she also has a dad played by Michael Caine, and he uses witch powers to get hella laid. Those are the two examples given to us in the first 10 minutes. Those are the only examples. There's no further rules defined. And he's like, you got to use your tricks. You got to use them. They're the best thing in the world. Keep using them. Only to get laid. Only to get laid. But also there's no consequences. The weird thing about this movie is there are no consequences to messing with reality, Uh, people's free will. Like, there's no, he's like, use magic. It's the best. And she's like, no. And it's like, well, do it. You should. It's the best. Right. No, I, Dana, the, it, it's a really good point you make that like, I feel like, and, and the movie even calls it as a joke, but uh, I Dream of Genie and Bewitched were very much a pair at this point in time. But the difference is I Dream of Genie is very much a male power fantasy. It's a kept I never, woman. I never it's a woman that. in a bottle. I mean, it's similar to Bewitch in that she was capable of magic, but she does right. She's got the physical gesture, but it was very much like an astronaut finds a woman in a bottle and she lives there and she does whatever she wants for him, whatever he wants, right? Like it's that power fantasy. And Bewitch, as you said, is like being like, you can't can't run shit. Like it's the tension of the guy always ends up pratfalling because his wife uses magic and he's trying to make her conform to like the nice kept woman domestic wife standards of its day. Yeah, it's like, I, isn't it funny of a male power, like the male power imbalance? It's like the crown, where it's like, it's right. weird that we're in the 50s and I'm your husband and I should have the power here, but you literally have all the power here. Now, I don't know what it is. The movie makes the joke about her being like, oh, let's do a rewrite and make her the CEO of a multi-conglomerate. Like, maybe that's the way you do a modern Bewitch movie. Maybe it has to be her existing in the world of business, you know? I don't, I don't fucking know. Or maybe you go, it's, it's, uh, it's hard fantasy, it's elf, the premise is that she's coming out of a different movie. But to do the same sort of 
like wafer thin rules of magic that the move that the TV series does, where the extent of magic is pretty much you can make your face appear on a label at a supermarket. Like, what the fuck are you doing here? But after that cold okay. open, it, it almost immediately goes over to Feral for 20 minutes. Michael Caine is the Jolly Green Giant is kind of funny. Kind of. His 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 little know. face on a really buff body, that that is funny. Yeah, That's funny. comedy. We switch to Feral. Feral is washed up for whatever reason. His wife has left him for a male model or something. He's getting pitched on this sitcom. He's nice for five seconds. That's the weird thing is he's a nice, yes. reasonable guy, and we meet him, this and is, he seems fine. And then it's like, a huge a, problem. <laughs> Jason, Jason Schwartzman says like you're being a pussy, and he says that a yes. thousand times. Right. And then right. do you want to be the mayor of Pussy Town? It, no, right. you want to be the mayor of Balls Town. That should have been the right. quote you used. I believe Griffin. is it Balls I Town or Balls? Really Bill? close. I came uh, Dana really close to. Uh, uh, a pod town in Castville or whatever. Um, um, no, yes, he's like the first meeting he has with Stephen Colbert and Jim Turner, right? Who are yes. yeah. the um, the showrunners or whatever. He's J- really J- nice. Jim Turner, of course, from Arliss, someone I now have watched so many hours of. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, he's nice. And then Schwartzman, his little pipsqueak. I love agent. Schwartzman, and also he is I soft too. in temperament. The way that he works as an asshole is like. The, the listen up Philip way, which is like, this is the guy who's just dismissive to everyone. He doesn't he work as a guy contempt. where you imagine that he could dominate right. in a negotiation. He's, he's not the mayor of Ballville. He's, he's never not been the mayor. to Ballville. He is conc- and that's a compliment to him. Yeah. He drags he has- him away and he's like, what are you, a cuck? He gives him this whole speech. <laughs> right. He's like, you got to be an alpha. And then so Farrell makes a bunch of ridiculous demands, which I guess is funny. He wants a leopard. And that just feels right. like where they're like, we're going to we're going to roll camera, Will. Yes. Say some funny shit, right? Like, they, that's what that, ha- that they is. They brought yeah. on McKay to try to r- punch up his stuff. I think McKay was on set for a lot of this movie. I but think that, that makes no sense. Part he of him getting be, the green light for... Right, but uh, he can't be Taldega. Ron Burgundy for half no. the movie and no. a Nora Ephron leading man for the other no, half. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But that's, like, part of the Frankensteining of this movie is, like, 100. we're going we're gonna to allocate certain scenes in which McKay takes the wheel and helps pitch Farrell a bunch of riffs. But anyway, because of his demands, it's established that Samantha has to be played by an unknown. Then the movie kind of begins, and I could not tell you, I could not say the rest of the plot and not go mad. It changes every sense. 10 minutes. Yeah. Exactly. You know, what, what were you about to say? I was going to, well, now that we got to the audition scene, I like that now the main conflict of the film is they cannot, in Los Angeles, they cannot find a pretty 30-year-old actress who can deliver a line. You can't find an unknown actress who can can say a line? There's a montage. Everyone blows the line. So here here are a series of quick thoughts, okay? One, as, as both of you said, Will Ferrell introduced in this movie very low status vulnerable he feels bad about his career he's worried he's a little bit sympathetic right he goes to the meeting with the negotiations he's like this thing has to be a two-hander i love the original bewitch i want to find someone to play samantha and kill it schwarzman pulls him aside is like you have to be an asshole and then he's an asshole for the next hour right Right. then everything he's doing is just a status play it is just trying to throw his weight around and make everyone value him more there's something there, uh, Jackie Earl Haley, a, a great man, once said to me, the thing you realize that's terrifying when you get a little bit of success in this industry is everyone starts daring you to become an asshole. 
there is a system that falls into place where it's almost like if you don't act like an asshole, everyone will take advantage of you. And so yes. a very... It's the thing we talked about with um, George Miller rejecting yes. his trailer on Eastwick. And, and, right. and so they're like, oh, you must be a total wuss. Like, we're going right. to like push you around. I don't know if that belongs in a Bewitched movie, but there's a thing there. There is something to work with in a more realistic way of someone feeling the need to still exert power in order to sell the idea that they're not washed up and tanking a project in the process. But here's where you get to like this movie making everything a longer walk than it needs to be. This movie refusing to follow like Occam's razor. It with the way this character is set up at this moment, it would make so much more sense. It would be so much more believable if they keep on reading big actors for the role and he feels threatened by the idea of having someone who's at the same level of him as him. Yeah. Then then he sees this woman in a bookshop who he wants to fuck and he goes to the studio and he's like, you have to hire her. You know, like you would buy this character being the kind of guy who is like, I'm telling you this unknown actress has it because he is sexually attracted to her and and kind of like collapses the entire project rather than this weird immediate miscalculation of, oh, we need to hire an unknown actress before I've even signed on to the project because I need to make sure that I'm the number one in every capacity and them agreeing to that. It's so much funnier, like you said, if that's the unspoken thing in his head. We as the audience are smart enough to understand that he'll be threatened if he's in a scene with like a great actress and they cast out with a great actress and she's getting all the laughs. I can understand why we would put the two and two together that he's like, I don't like this. That is the obvious way to go about this movie. And when you're watching a montage of 80 women mangle the easiest line in the world, which, A, as you said, what the fuck? What do you mean no one can play this part? What are you talking about? It's like the montage of, like, in High School Musical, where, like, every kid in high school is bad. But it's like, this is Los Angeles. You can find a blonde woman who's a good actress. And You walk down the street. Right. If at that point they had faced that much failure... They would not let him screen test a woman he met at a bookshop. <laughs> right. They would say, I'm sorry, Jack. Yeah, but needs his, to be no, an established but His power is not well defined. We just no. don't really know. So, look, what follows is he's a jerk for a while, okay? He sees her, he right? sees her at a bookstore. She does the nose it's, thing. He goes yeah, to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she doesn't o- understand what reading is. She only takes this job. I think the important thing is what they try to establish with her is that she, she doesn't she want everything to come easy. No, she's like, I right. don't want oh, everything right, to right. come easy. I want to struggle. I want to struggle. And he's like, being famous is great. You snap your fingers, anything happens. She's like, I don't want that. Right. So she doesn't want to be famous, doesn't want to be an actress. The only reason she does it is because she has a crush on him. The and only reason. Even though he is the least charming man in the world. She's not interested until he starts saying, we'll be husband and wife, which she takes on a literal level. She's never met (laughs) Because she's 12 years old. Yes. That's the thing. The whole way she's playing it is that she's never met a human before. He's showing interest in her. And so she's just like, well, she's bewitched by it. Anyway. At the screen test, she, she doesn't know how to read the script, but then she starts explaining her actual witch logic and they right. think and she's like, oh, he's, she's popping. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> On the and spot, then, they cast her. It's sort of like yes. splash a little bit in that way. Yes. Yeah. No, they got they, a sexy born yesterday. Trope. They, they treat it like splash in, in a weird way. 
So then it's like huge press conference. They built a set that looks like Lollapalooza. They're at some outdoor space where they're bringing her on stage and announcing her for the first time. Everyone's reporting on it only to reveal 20 minutes later that this is the pilot that they haven't even yes. gotten a series order, that they're doing this sort of like promotional song and dance just for the pilot. It's not even up fronts yet. Yeah, it's not even up fronts. They haven't shot the pilot yet. We have to move through because after this nonsense, she gets sick of him because he's mean. There's a whole rigmarole, but then the end point of it is she's sick of him because she's mean. He won't let her score. She she overhears him talking with Jason Schwartzman about how they tricked her into having no lines. Because she's having fun up until that point. She doesn't realize that she has nothing to do until they tell her. She has nothing to do in a movie that has given her almost nothing to do for the last 45 minutes. And then it is revealed that even though Bewitched is fictional. Yes. Aunt Clara and later Uncle Arthur, minor characters from Bewitched, are real. Yes. I guess. They're the only ones who are real. Right. They do exist. Like, Andorra (laughs) does not. No, she's got a father. She doesn't have a mother. Uh, yes, she is she has like a father Andorra. who's not Her from the show. Her father's an entirely different character type, except the actress right. playing Endora also is a witch. So you have one relative witch who is exactly like the character from the show, the same name, the same relation. Then you have Uncle Arthur, who seems to have magical abilities, but only appears to Will Ferrell and never he, interacts with the real he, witch in it. Maybe, yes. maybe they hint that he might just be in Will Ferrell's mind maybe but then maybe, who's driving maybe. the car like is he well, having no, but, but a full then, like who is club mental breakdown who's Aunt, anyway, Aunt Clara Aunt Clara played Whose by sister Carol is she? Shelley yes. she's, she's not Endora's sister no and she is like oh come on just I'll cast a hex and he'll be in love with you yes and then this... the next phase of the movie plays oh, out no. in which Will Ferrell is head over heels in love with Nicole Kidman and is only nice to her and this is Will, you can't go big enough. Anything you want to throw on the screen. It really, it's right. It's like more. And they try yeah. to convince us as a woman that she is charmed by this instead of being immediately put off. Instead it's of immediately Demented. being like, yes. oh, this is weird and bad and I will undo this in a second. They have yes. them like go on a date and she almost kisses him and she's like, oh, this is what I want as a woman. I almost forgot. So in a mid-film twist, almost on the level of Gambit, this movie proceeds for 15 to 20 minutes as, oh, the high concept premise now is that she's tricked him into being in love with her and he's too nice of a guy and he's too adoring. And that plays out for multiple scenes through to their flirtation and seduction. and 20, 25 minutes. Date and maybe first kiss, almost their first kiss. Almost first kiss. And then she pauses the movie appears as a second version of herself looking at it and goes, this is too wrong. And the movie rewinds 20 full minutes and just goes, none of that shit you saw happened at all. We're just going to now proceed with some different things happening. What's weird then is the character of Aunt Clara, in addition just to being wildly confusing in the plot of this movie, um, is entirely unnecessary and I think doesn't appear again. So it's no, like just Michael cut Kane that whole could thing have out. Done that. Whatever. It's too, long, no, I don't know. it's too long of a movie. It's too. But that whole it's sequence just so is weird too long. That they're like, 
we're going to do Bewitch. We can't do the actual show. We have to do a whole meta thing. But we have to have Aunt Clara. Like, what are the eight conversations having? Happening it it almost feels that? like there was a legal obligation. Like, it's <laughs> right? like you have to get the Kravitzes in there. They can be Shit. their real neighbors. Aunt yeah. Clara is a coincidence that she seems to be the same as the character. It's one of those things yeah, where it's Adora like, uh, if we include Aunt Clara, we right. get 10% of Herbie fully loaded. It's just right. a deal we made. There's I don't like it. There's weird fucking thing because they're just like, we need to check check every single classic character box in one form or another with no consistent internal rules of how they appear in this universe. Here's the thing that I think is the most offensive of all the things in this movie from a storytelling perspective. Okay. Okay. They have the hex plot. He's very nice. She's not into it. She rewinds. Right. Because there's a running joke. I just want to mention as well. There's a running joke where she keeps on confessing to people that she's a witch and no one believes her, including Kristen Chenoweth, who's a delivery woman, who's also a life coach, who turns everything into a song, be it a laugh or a line of dialogue. She so badly wishes she was in a musical. I wrote that was written for Kristen Chenoweth, I learned. Yes. Uh, Yeah, it makes sense. Right, because I think she originally auditioned for something else. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Right, but but then also... Uh, uh, Heather Burns, who is like the writer's assistant or the producer's assistant, but then becomes her closest friend who teams up with her to help her destroy the show. She just casually, now that Ant has appeared out of nowhere, covered in soot, and the area surrounding her chimney is suddenly dirty, and she's been telling them she's a witch forever, and they keep on taking it not at face value, incentivizes them to join into a hex okay. with her. They okay. wear classic pointy okay. witch hats they, they and imply, stand around a cauldron. They imply that Aunt Clara hexed them to get yes. them on board with the hex. To do a hexing. Okay. There, was a, there was a pre-hex All right. hexing. All right. So after the hex is taken yeah. back yes. and Will Ferrell is no longer obligated by magic to be nice. And Aunt Clara has re- nothing to do anymore. Aunt Clara only off. existed for the movie to have a 20-minute detour. We go back to the scene where Will Ferrell is given the ratings where like yes. she has retested really well and he's tested really poorly. And the first time he reacts to that with like positive energy. This time That's he's the mad. Joke. You expect he's going to flip yeah, out, yeah, but yeah, he yeah. loves right. it. He's so happy. He wants her to score. This yeah. time we see him flip out. He gets mad. There's a big fight and he fires her and she pulls a, you can't fire me. I quit. Okay. Yes. But she also dresses him down in front of the whole. Yes. And then he he comes after her and he's like, no one's ever done that before. This is great. Th- uh, no, I, I'm sorry. No. no what no, is no, this? No. You can't give me a fourth character update where it's like, no. and that makes him behave normally. Like, <laughs> right. I, it's clearly just the thing of like, well, now we need to start getting to the end. So I guess he's going to have to be a human being again. Not but then you pause the-, the movie and you go, wait, there are 50 minutes left. <laughs> yeah, right. But the weird thing also is they had sort of established that he was a nice guy beforehand. Right. And For it was Jason and it was Schwartzman. <laughs> and like this movie could have worked if he was a sad sack the whole time who's so insecure that it sort yes. of makes him an asshole, but he's just an insecure sad that's sack. The thing, like, that's the Hollywood his... daring you to become an asshole. That's almost something <sighs> if every time he pulls away from assholeish behavior, he goes to Schwartzman. He's like, are you sure? Are you sure this feels unnatural? Right. And that movie also would necessitate a twist that Jason Schwartzman's character is Satan himself, <laughs> who has long been waged in a war with the witches. Like that's yeah, almost the possible. only way this movie Makes which, sense. Which they sort of imply at the end a tiny bit. A tiny bit. A tiny bit. They they make a joke about it, but you're like, oh. But then it's like another montage after we've seen this montage of them falling in love. 
that is Farrell saying, I'm going to stay overnight on the set with you, and I'm going to teach you everything I know about being a comedic actor. Even though she was being great before. She totally. was getting great ratings. She could deliver a funny line. She had no problem being a comedic no. actor. She had was naturally pretty good at it. But he teaches right. her physical comedy. He's totally selfless and collaborative and hardworking. We need to be a team. This is a show about a marriage. And then they kiss. Now they have the actual first kiss. It's bullshit. They have it's no chemistry. Absolutely. It's completely no. insane. Then then it's like Nora's like, all right, time to bring in the ex-wife. Let's do 10 minutes of this. Oh, no. It's 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 nonsense. She almost kills the ex-wife with a light, Kate, rewinds it, Katie does, another, does yes. another rewind, and then manipulates her brain into making her move to Reykjavik. Right. right. The also crazy thing you're saying is that you pause at this point, and you're like, there's 50 movies, 50 minutes of this movie left, what finally, after all of these like arcs and turns, has established is like they like each other now. They had their first yeah. kiss. They're together. She hasn't told him that she's a witch yet. We need right. to get to that. Right. But th- that is the opening credit. That's like the the opening narration of the original Bewitched. Like that, that is has to the be the premise of Bewitched. His guy <laughs> finds out post relationship <laughs> that she's a witch and the movie takes an hour to fucking get there yeah more an hour 10 i think something like that that's and the then crazy she tells thing. him she's a witch crazy he has the i'm a clippers fan line this is all in the trailer of the movie right it makes it seem she, like this is she, the first 30 minutes of the she film. does magic powers and he lets out a big will ferrell scream probably the biggest laugh of the movie just because he's good at those but just to and, pause again i'm sorry but but the katie Finneran scene is the first time we find out it's only been a pilot because he says why are you coming around again did you hear that the show's probably gonna get picked up and you go like you're too hung up on the pilot thing it's not even the pilot the show's thing. not picked up yet that's what's crazy they didn't have it's, a series order it's not even that. It's it's beyond that. It feels like at this point the movie has spanned six months of time. And you're telling me either they've been shooting a pilot for six months or this movie has taken place over like 15 days, which is insane. I'm going to ask you a hypothetical question, both of you, Griffin and yeah. David. Do you think this movie would work, hypothetically, if it starts with here's a young actress who's been an unknown who somehow magically got cast in this in this sitcom, mm-hmm. washed up actor who they sort of have chemistry with. Mm-hmm. And the first moment of this movie is they have chemistry. They get cast. They get a big laugh. They're actors in this movie. And then she tells him she's actually a witch. Would, that, would this movie right. work? Here's what's fascinating. I mean, I, it, it would work worked better. better. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It would work better. I will also say I rewatched the trailer because I was trying to remember which the big were the big Will Ferrell joke lines they uh, front loaded in the trailer. The trailers for the movie were all structured that way. It was, here's the perspective of Will Ferrell. He needs the show to be a hit. They find this unknown actress, and then only after she's cast does anyone find out that she's a witch. The trailer, it's structured that you wouldn't find out. It makes you seem like the movie wouldn't tell you that until after. Which would work better because that's how the sitcom is structured, where they meet, they fall in love. The I mean, she doesn't do any witchy things to make them fall in love it would be almost funny if they imply like wow this beautiful unknown actress it's so hard to make it in hollywood she did she have a little extra help but then they have this massive party that i guess is the rap party for the pilot no it's it's a it's something even worse he just throws a party is it because he fires someone something went well a take it's it's not a rap party 
on set, something happened, and he goes, let's have a party it's at to my celebrate, place. It's to celebrate oh, his right. divorce. Yes. Right. His wife yeah. signs the divorce papers, and he's like, let's right. have a party. Correct. It looks like a party that took uh, months to plan. Uh, and, and here is where she's like, I need to tell you I'm a witch. Uh, doing anything she can, any trick she can to show him, he keeps on taking them as you're an amateur magician. Is Kate Walsh, Kate Walsh is at this party? Yes. We also yep. have the, the B plot at this point, which is Michael Caine, who's mostly been existing in the film to tell her to stop using magic, now is in love with Shirley MacLaine, the actress, who the comedic premise that seems to be set up is she thinks that her and Nicole Kidman are similar in terms of being weird, that it's weird actor diva ticks which Nicole Kidman interprets as, oh, you're a witch as well. Michael Caine is attracted to her, wants to use his magic to fall in love with her. And now an hour and 10 minutes and we're finding out, no, Shirley MacLaine is also a witch and now is using magic to stop Michael Caine from fucking other women. Yeah, then we get I mean, to the look. scene, David, that you <laughs> talked about where Will Ferrell screams. He scream. He scream loud and it big scream and trailer put put in trailer and he says he's a Clipper fan and she flies away and he, he waves a stick at her. Mm-hmm. He waves a branch at her. Waves that branch. Um, and so she's gone and I guess that's when they're like, let's recast her. Yeah. And then he like disappears he, to Mexico, but we don't see right, that. Right, he's, he's brought back in by the police. Which is wild because the premise of the original sitcom is... Let's see two people deal with the fact yep. that two people in love just found out that one of them is a witch. And right. this movie the, decides to just hand wave. They're like, we're not going to have fun with that at all. Right. The witchiness <laughs> tests the pre-existing strength of the relationship. And this oh God, movie, the guys. second he finds out she's a witch, it's like, let's separate them. Let's yeah. make sure they're not <laughs> on screen again together until the very end. And not even and then, show him dealing with it, just have him be brought back by the police because he like went on an existential bender. Right. But then she's not in the movie. We're all feral. He imagines himself being interviewed by Conan. Yes. And then he is visited by Steve Carell well, playing Steve Carell Paul appears, Lind as right. Uncle Arthur. Right. He is playing a magical manifestation of the actual character, not an actor yes. playing Uncle Arthur. Uncle Arthur, who was his favorite character on Bewitched. Right. He is imagining that Uncle Arthur is there and that but he But I think also him. Isabel's uncle in this narrative. I can't it, it, fucking I don't know. figure it out. <laughs> Because at first it's, okay, the scene is Carell, who's right on that threshold, about to pop, gets the and in this movie. It's and Steve Carell in the credits. He gets the, he gets the and, and of course, yes, he'd been an anchorman the year before, so like it's sort of like putting Farrell in fucking Wedding Crashers, right? It's like, right. Look, and 40 Year Old Virgin is later this year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but yes, it's like, okay, but so. Aunt Clara is her aunt. So is Uncle Arthur her uncle? That's what I can't fucking... I don't know. Is the show based off of her family? Because she said she never watched it. Because it was like... It was like blasphemy to her because she was a real witch. But maybe it was because her parents didn't want her to know that they sold her life rights. (laughs) When she was an infant. (laughs) Yeah. So to bring back Jim Carrey, it's the Truman Show. But the fake out of the Uncle Arthur She never married Darren because it's not real. I'm gonna throw something. There's not a real Darren. There's not David, an equivalent. You look really upset. 
this is for how many like serious sci-fi movies we've covered on the show. This is the most perplexing internal logic of a film we have ever had to discuss. We haven't even gotten into the fact that Stephen Colbert and David Alan Greer are both in this movie and are. It's like a law was passed that they're not allowed to be funny. It's like you can only deliver (laughs) expositional dialogue. That's it. This movie has three different daily host correspondents in it. One of them is Carell, who's uh, in a big two scene sort of like cameo performance. One of them is Colbert, who's in so much of the movie, but with almost nothing to do, playing entirely straight. And one of them is Mo Rocca, who it just feels like is any day player on a TV as an Entertainment Tonight correspondent. I I swear David Allen Greer hosted a nightly show at some point, too. He did Chocolate News. Yeah, there you go. Right, exactly. This movie sort of decides, makes the commitment that if it looks like a Hollywood movie, like it's glossy enough, and they yeah. put enough funny people in it, it'll just yes. like, by the, law, the a war of attrition, it'll just be funny through sheer force of will. And it's not. There's that thing that Roger Ebert always says where it's like, I, I run the internal test of, is this movie more or less enjoyable than watching the cast have dinner together. Right. Oh, right. that's and genius, this is a, yeah. This might be the example. greatest ratio of no, right? Where it's right. like, I would <laughs> I would watch a thousand hours of this Could cast not making this movie versus this? one hour of this movie. Colbert, even Schwartzman probably has great stories. Katie Finneran, Michael Badaluccio, he can regale us with tales of the practice. But you're just like Kane and McClane doing like yeah. old Hollywood Amy stories. Amy Sedaris, Richard right. Kind, Richard Kind, Conan. You can bring in Conan. Right, right. It's the ultimate example of just. Ed like, McMahon is in this. All of it. The stories everyone would have the bits. Yes, it's so goddamn insane. But this Uncle Arthur thing, right? Okay, he's backstage at Conan. He gets the the reckoning from Uncle Arthur, the character he's talked about loving, explaining to him, you have to go, you have to run to her. Then he's like, I don't know what to do. Runs out to Conan. Uncle Arthur has cursed him. He's naked. Okay, this is that moment. Except no, he wakes up. It was a dream. It was his subconscious speaking to him, but he knows what he has to do. He has to run to her. Except no, (laughs) he turns over in bed. Uncle Arthur is still real in this reality or he's having a full-blown mental breakdown that is haunting both his waking and sleeping hours with the same figure. So then he gets in his car and drives to the Hollywood lot where Uncle Arthur tells him the rules that she's about to leave and go home to where she's from. And the rule of witches is that if you leave, you can't come back for a hundred years. He can't figure out where she is until he realizes, oh, she's home because the real home for her is their fucking sitcom set where they've only filmed one pilot that apparently took six months. And where he was mean to her most of the time. Mostly a traumatic experience okay. for her. But there is a good gag in the pilot. Can we can we just shout out the, the when he has the big lobster claw? That's funny. That's, that's funny. I do gag. laugh at that. I do laugh at that. And you also are just like, why am I not watching that fucking movie? Why am I not watching the movie in which Will Ferrell is sort of cuddly, but kind of inept, right. suburban dude, That's dealing thing, with weird That's magic. The and and That's play the with, the, play with the tensions about, yeah. about uh, gender roles in the 90s. Yes. That's an interesting... Using 100%. bewitched gender roles metatextually to the 90s is an interesting movie that I would watch. There is a version of this movie that probably still doesn't exist, that probably is still viewed as that was a weird point in Will Ferrell and Nicole Kidman's careers, 
but it's a gentleman's six. It's an <laughs> ultimate cable movie. It's 100%. an ultimate, like, whatever. It's, it's comfort food. It's just a, a TV show stretched out for 90 minutes. It's, it's middle of the pack Efron rather than the worst thing she ever did. But you are right. The, the joke of him with the lobster claw is funnier than any funny. actual joke in kind this movie. Yeah. Right. It's not good. Right. That's the thing. It's like 30 Rock correctly knew that the, the show they were making was irrelevant and probably not very funny. Yes. Bewitched, anytime you see a glimpse of the show, you're like, I don't know, maybe this is worth watching. <laughs> I'd rather like. watch this. Its use of magic seems more interesting to me than the real world uses of magic behind right. the scenes. Well, that, the crazy thing to me with its, all the whiffs and wild things that this movie does is they try to make it so that she should. she's like, I shouldn't use magic for no yeah. reason. Even though she does things that like violate all rules of space and time, where if they want there to be consequences of magic, which this movie seems to sort of want, they could do that, but they don't. Magic has no consequences in this universe. No, no absolutely. She learns no lessons from using magic, and there's also no kind of, like, cliche ticking clock thing of, like, if you fall in love with a human, you have to give up your magic powers. Are you sure you never want to have magic again? The you know? arc that this, that, that Isabel, the Nicole Kidman, Oscar winner Nicole Kidman's character goes on, is she moves out, decides that she doesn't want to use magic, has a crush on a boy who's an asshole, falls in love with that boy, and continually uses magic. The biggest sort of satirical angle Nora Ephron is bringing to it is, if they, re -re if they rebooted Bewitched today, it probably wouldn't even be about the witch. They would find a way to make her as insequential as possible to the show. But she is, at the same time, doing that to the character who is having that done to them in the show within the movie. Like, it is crazy how little interiority, how little agency this character has, how little screen time she has relative to Farrell. And what you think they're almost trying to do is say, all right, in the 1950s, you know, 60s, the woman had less power than the man in society. Yeah. And in, on a Hollywood set, the unknown has less power than the established movie star. And I guess that could cause some tension. But yes. they... Don't interrogate that beyond just putting it on the canvas and saying, like, there, we did it. There's a Meryl Streep quote, which I've invoked before on this podcast, but where she said that um, you look at, like, the 40s and the 50s, and women were very strong and tough and equal co-leads with agency who would, would give it as, as hard as they took it in, like, all those screwball comedies. And men did not feel threatened by it as audience members. They would watch something like His Girl Friday and they would not say this is an agenda being pulled. Or Nanachka, which is right. a movie we talked about, which in which the woman is so strong and so right. powerful that that's her whole thing. That was not viewed as a threat. But what Meryl Streep said is men feel more threatened by that today because it is closer to reflecting an actual reality. At the times in which those power dynamics were on screen, it was like, well... Uh, Catherine Hepburn can be like a ball buster because in real life she can't actually tell me what to do, you know? And now men feel more threatened by it. And as you're saying, yes, that is slightly more of an angle for this movie to have. That like the idea of, well, you couldn't keep her at home anymore. You couldn't tell her that she can't have a job makes this character more of a threat if she has magical ability. But there are 8,000 different things this movie could have done that would have felt like, Nora Ephron had an actual angle for why she wanted to make this rather than lucky numbers had bombed really hard. It was a guaranteed green light. And a lot of 
especially I feel like comedic filmmakers, if they've been working for long enough, are like, I don't know, I'd kind of like to make a movie about how show business works because they're filled with such contempt for how stupid the industry is that they think they're going to be the one who makes the take that mainstream audiences give a shit about. And almost always people go, inside baseball, I don't fucking care. I don't fucking care. Bewitched. At the oh, end, they fall in love. I don't know. I don't have anything they else. Do. And then they move they in. Move then in. they move into the house from Bewitched, and then the yep. neighbors from Bewitched are actually there, and right. it's Richard yeah. Kind and Amy, Amy Sedaris, Sedaris and Richard Kind, and I'm immediately like, oh, it, Forky, and was literally like, oh, Amy Sedaris, and I was like, credits are about to roll, my friend. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's all we're in, getting <laughs> in this from the beginning. It would be that made me seeing Amy Sedaris and Richard Kind as the neighbors who I like remembered from the original yeah. Bewitched so was so charming and nostalgic yes. and fun for me that even if I would be like, I want that movie, please. At the end yes. of this movie, I was like, this is where the movie should have be- began. Ab, so it literally should have been the opening after the credits is, oh, who are these neighbors moving in next door? They're newlyweds. You know what this movie? Yeah, this movie should have been two actors who... They just get married. She's an up-and-coming starlet. He's sort of in the decline of his career. Yeah. They get married. I'm a witch. Opening credits. Here's the movie. And the power dynamic could be that her career is becoming more successful than his. And he's threatened. That is an issue that women working have today. That men, when they start dating you, are more powerful and then get in a lull. And then they are not okay with that relationship dynamic anymore. But as you said, the central metaphor of the series tracks well onto that of just like she has more power than he does. Literally, she's magical and he feels threatened by that. Give us Amy Sedaris and Richard Kind as wacky neighbors. That sounds like a delight. And make the show that they work on not bewitched. I don't think Kidman is good in any version of this. And again, no offense to Nicole Kidman. She's I don't not, think she's necessarily she's kinda, the right casting. You know what? You I know think what she's we just need? badly cast. Who? Yeah. Um, oh God, I'm trying to think of like who. Amy Adams. Is she? Is she too serious? No, no. Think Enchanted is two years after that. Okay, I'm, I'm right? thinking yeah, more like Amy an Elizabeth, Adams. like Elizabeth Banks, but she might be too broad. Banks would be great too. I th- I think Adams like is right before she gets big enough to be playing this yeah, role, right. but would have worked this in is it. The same. This is the year before Talladega Nights. I think Kidman is... Oh, yeah, Talladega, of course. Kidman is too innately dark. Like, that's where her mind lives. She's not funny. She and Will Ferrell... No beef with her. She and Will Ferrell live in two different universes. I think before recording, we were talking about how they're the exact same age. But to me, it's like when people are like, oh... It's like people who are like, oh, did you know that Anne Frank and Martin Luther King Jr. were born the same year? You're like, I just... I think of those two people... Never intersecting. That's how I right. feel about Will Ferrell and Nicole Kidman. Right. Nicole it's the Kidman. same thing where you're just like, but she was already like married to Tom Cruise and hosting SNL eight years before he got on the cast. They're clearly from different generations. And it's like, no, she got successful very young and he didn't get really big until later. But also their comedic styles, their Everything. their actor personas just don't intersect in any Absolutely. way. What a fucking bizarre goddamn movie i think this is one of truly the weirdest films we have ever covered and one of the blank checkiest movies we have ever because it looks expensive it looks expensive and it's also just it feels like i mean we're talking about it coming out of we just need to make some bewitched movie but this one feels like 
they're literally writing the script in real time. Like yes. in the Nochka episode of your podcast that I recorded, Dana, I was talking about how much I love in like the best comedies of the 40s, like the Lubitsch and the Sturgis movies. They're not concerned with sort of like act one has to be entirely this act two has to be entirely this. We're stalling for time. We're putting off the conflict being resolved that every 10 minutes they'll introduce a new conflict. But the way that happens is organic. It is following the logical interior lives of the characters and what they would do next. This feels like a movie where every 10 minutes they go, fuck, this is running out of steam. What's a new thing? Yeah. What's a thing we can do to fill time? What's a thing? Right. Yeah. Let's play the box office game. Let's play the box. Ugh, office game. I didn't. This I didn't film? expect to get so angry about this movie. I thought it's I was going to like movie. not it's talk a, fiasco. a lot. Oh I, my god! It, it's a fiasco, and it's it's Nora's. I mean, we haven't seen Lucky Numbers yet at the time of this recording. It's the one we've done out of order for this mini series, pretty much. Um, I I'm a big Adam Resnick fan. I'm assuming I will find a lot more to like in Lucky Numbers than I do in this. But her flops yes. are not fiascos in this way, and you can always see. I get what she was trying to do and she couldn't pull it off. This, I just cannot even figure out how she explained this to friends while she was working on it. Like I I was running that test of like, imagine being at a dinner party with Nora Ephron and going, Nora, what are you working on right now? And her going, but which? And they go, oh, great. I can see that in my head. And she goes, well, but not exactly. (laughs) And she tries to explain this to you over drinks. I'm fine up until... Aunt Clara. That's when yeah. it breaks me. That's when the movie breaks. Aunt Clara me. definitely yeah. is when the movie completely yeah. shatters. And then I, um, I think the the double reverse reveal of McLean being a witch is is a further. Oh, that's where you're like, no, excuse me, this I need another movie for this. If you're even going to begin this, I, right. whatever. Right, you have to I save mean, this, this for movie three. But it's right around the same time as rumor has it, where Shirley McLean is dropping into movies as like meta characters. Yes. Anyway. Anyway, this movie came out June 24th, 2005. I definitely saw it at the AMC Fenway by myself. And yeah. I also, because I saw so many movies that year by myself and I just mm-hmm. would see anything. I think I saw the trailer for this movie like a hundred times. I think it's Too why I keep times. referencing it. Yeah. Who Number one, Griffin, is a movie I saw multiple times at the AMC Fenway. Uh, it's one of the big hits of the summer. What is it? Where, wait, where's the AMC Fenway? Uh, the oh, AMC Boston. Fenway. You're working at the Boston yeah. Globe at this point in time? Okay. Boston Phoenix. Okay. Sorry. So it's in Fenway um, Park. You're seeing movies projected. It's yeah, very yeah, near. Um, Fen- it's opposite. Next Fenway to Park. Wally the Green Monster. It's on yes, the Green that Monster. Is, that is where um, the Phoenix used to be headquartered. Yes. Right next okay. to Fenway. I used to have um, a Green Monster shirt because I hated sports. And when I would go to sporting events with my dad and my brother and he offered to buy merch i would buy whatever merch had a cartoon character on it because i was like i don't care about players so they had a shirt that was like the green monster like anthropomorphized with a face and i would get such shit as a kid in new york wearing that shirt like people would like fucking throw shit at me and i'd be like i like that he's got googly eyes (laughs) this means nothing to me griff were you a yankees family or a mets family uh, or none. My, no, my 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 dad, father, and grandfather were big Mets fans, and I wore a Yankee hat a lot because it was a hat that I owned. Because but you because you wanted to look like Zoe Deutsch and set it up. Okay. I right. just admit it. I did. We've brought and to I, set it up so many times. On I know. This. I just love to bring up that she goes to the it's Yankees. It's so good. I guess, it's set up. So 
Um, but I, I was more Yankees for no reason. I guess I liked that logo and the colors more. I didn't care about anyone's games. The men in my family all liked the Mets. But you did shut down production on Gone Girl for two weeks because you refused to wear a Yankees hat. Listen, if I wear a Yankees hat, my skin melts. That's just how it works. My okay. version of that was fever pitch. They fired me <laughs> off a of fever pitch because I refused to wear a Red Sox hat. I care <laughs> the about amount that. of times I have seen fever pitch. Sorry, let's get back to the Fox. Yes. My brother's favorite movie. What my brother's favorite movie. Was number one your brother? I thought your brother's favorite movie was Ali. I'd say that's top five for him. Okay, fine. Okay. There was a bit one year where three different members of my family bought my brother Fever Pitch on DVD because we were <laughs> like, I don't know what else to get him. He watches that movie incessantly. Okay. okay. So he Number already had access to it. Why did he need He the was DVD? watching it on cable every time it was on. Sorry. I'm so sorry, Dan. Number one at the box office, Griffin. And he never it's opened any of the DVDs. They remain. Griffin, shrinking. it's been number one for two weeks. I'm just going to I mean, talk now I'm doing it now. as a bit. Okay, number one. I'm sick been, of the bit. Number first one. First time that's ever happened on this podcast. Number one. What, said that I've been sick of a bit? Yeah. Um, it's, come on, it's two weeks. It has a very good drop for a blockbuster. It's a big hit, but it's going to spawn much bigger hits. It's uh, a big covered hit, it on this gonna, podcast. It's a big hit, but it's going to spawn much bigger hits. It's 2005. It's July or June? This is late June. This is late June. It's been out for two weeks. Is it uh, fuck? Uh, I'm trying to think of franchises. It's not fuck. It's not fuck. It's, uh, fuck the movie. <laughs> what is Which I fuck? believe is a film from 2005. Yes. Oh, yes. The, the yes. Documentary okay, about the word fuck. Is that a Kirby Dick movie? Uh, Steve Anderson, I'm seeing. Okay. Um, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, wait a second. I'm seeing. It's not a Kirby Dick movie. The director's name is Yoshi Penis. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, that I liked. That that was fine. And I won you back. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, wait, I'm trying to think. It spawns. What are franchises that start in 2005? It's not Fantastic uh, well, well, Four. Uh, this isn't the beginning of a franchise, but it is the relaunch of a franchise. It's the relaunch of a franchise that gets bigger from here. Mm. Yes. Mm. And was the previous uh, incarnation of this franchise a movie as well, or was it in a different medium? I mean, there's so many versions of this franchise, but the last movie of this franchise is eight years prior, and it's a movie that Andrew really loves. Oh, oh, it's Batman Begins. That's right. It's the Bartman Batman Begins. I can't believe that took me so long. Begins. This is one of those ones where people are yelling. Uh, yes. Isn't that That's weird right. how, how different a time that was where people were like, they're rebooting Batman? I don't know. It's been <laughs> seven years. Like, people might have forgotten about Batman. Yeah, right. <laughs> and when they tease the Joker at the end, people are like, I don't know. That, th- Nicholson played the Joker 16 years ago. You I think it's too it fresh. Again. Right. <laughs> but also, that movie, like, opens to 50. It ends up around 200. And people were like, yeah, it was like kind of like a sleeper. Like, it, like underperformed yes. opening weekend relative to the previous Batman movies and then yes. had good word of mouth and it like stuck it around, did. but it was very expensive and they weren't even sure if they were going to make a sequel. <laughs> but they it's, were it's like, I don't know. They were like running the calculus on like, if the second movie does better, we'll make a profit. This one we kind of evened out. So insane. Yes, the Bartman began. It is insane. And Bewitched, I suppose, in a perfect world would have knocked it off its top, but it was a bit of an underperformer. But it did open at $20 million. This is a crazy thing. You look at any sort of big 
comedy starring a big star from this period by and large opens to 20. Like it's just like automatic. Right. Like Land of the it's Lost like, also opens to like 20. These movies that you think of as like huge flops. And the, Land like, of the Lost. It's another movie that was the trailer was just all feral screaming. Matt Lauer. Right. Matt Lauer. Take that Matt Lauer or whatever. Yeah. In your face, Matt Lauer. In your face, Matt Lauer. <sighs> But these right, movies number- just like, it's, yeah, I don't know. You make an easy 20 million opening weekend. The question is how you multiply. Um, number three at the box office is a big hit of the year. I'm sure we've talked about it many times in various box office games. Um, it was sort of like a, uh, Jesus. Um, it's an action movie. Two big stars. Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't need to do any more, do I? No. One of the big O5s. Yeah, Not a good movie. O5. I think it's fine. I, I think I it's also... fun. It has its moments. They have chemistry, at least. <sighs> they yeah. have chemistry. I just think Pitt is so, like, dialed out of that movie. He's, like, I, I haven't seen it in many years. But in, in his defense, very handsome. Very handsome. Very handsome. Although I've never been the biggest fan of um, very close, you know, the crew cut, you know, the, the, shaved, the sort of shaved. Yeah. Not my favorite pit. I like his hair long. I thought I agree. He's hotter with long hair. At that point in time, I thought he looked so hot. In Mr. And Mrs. Smith that I was like, oh, that's the key. If I shave my head, I'll be hot. And I shaved my head and I was like, no, I, I look, like, oh, I look, I'm not Brad Pitt. I, I have know. my face. My head is not as well shaped as his. It's better. Ah! David, what's number four at the box office? It's a movie that I mentioned earlier as a joke, and I believe I mentioned it because I had looked at this box office. Hmm. Um, it's a reboot, uh, or whatever. I guess it's a reboot um, of an old franchise. It has a a big star of the time who is a pretty much cresting. This is you know kind of the end for her. Um. One of your favorite actors is in it. One of my favorite actors is, oh, it's Herbie Fully Loaded. Yep. Starring Lindsay Lohan and Michael Keaton. Which (laughs) is the last Lindsay Lohan film aimed at young people, correct? Michael Keaton is in that movie? He plays her dad. He is. That was the wilderness years. That's the wilderness, 100%. Right, yeah. She does not make another movie aimed at even teenagers after that. No, her next film after that is Just My Luck, where the pitch was she's going to play a grown-up. Right. Right. I guess that one is still basically... No, no, it's with Chris Pine. 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 Oh, I fell in love with Chris Pine in that movie. He's very cute. That was still a movie aimed at her young audience, but the difference is that's the first movie in which her parent is not a co-lead of the film. You know? Like where it's like, Uh, here's a woman with her own apartment and career and she's falling in love in the city and then that one underperforms and then like at that point, the tailspin of all of the press had just sort of collapsed. Like her next movie after that is I Know Who Killed Me. Oh, Uh, There's also near forgetting Georgia Rule, my friend. Oh, fuck. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta think about Georgia Rule. But there was that point where her entire career was Freaky Friday, Parent Trap, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, Mean Girls, Herbie Fully Loaded. All of them were hits. She had Prairie only Home ever Companion been. Companion, she was in. Which I think she's very good in. But that wasn't a hit. She's fine. No, it wasn't. But I, I'm saying up until that point, it's like. She's only ever been the lead of a she's movie. She's going up, yeah. And she's only ever been in a hit. I think she's good in Prayer Home Companion. I like that movie a lot. 
Uh, that movie's fantastic. She is fine in it. I, I remember seeing good. Just My Luck, and the only thing I really remember about it as a as a teenager is falling in love with the British band McFly and falling Ugh. in love with Chris Pine. Pine, I, Pine I like, in that and uh, Princess Diaries Pine. too. He's in Princess Diaries too. The yeah. hottest so Pine. Weird to think about. Yeah, it, it, that's one of those guys where it's weird that it took him that long to become a star. He's so well, not in not in. In my mind, I was sure, a, sure. I was yes. a big uh, Princess Diaries too. That's what uh, I'm saying. After Princess Diaries two, I was like, work. give this guy every fucking part. Where? What's happening here? Oh, he's right. so charming. I'm, I have to show you the poster for Just My Luck because it looks like she's a Barbie doll. They couldn't get her for a photo shoot. Clearly, it looks like the life size poster. Oh wow, this is crazy. Are you looking? It doesn't at this even day? look like her. It doesn't even look like her. No, it looks like Mila Kunis. They couldn't it really get her. Doesn't look Chris like, Pine he, looks crazy. He looks like Ryan I, Reynolds. He's so handsome, he can, though. His hair. He has that yeah. that tooth that that aught hair. I think it looks he like can, Mila Kunis yeah. and Jay Baruchel. That's what this poster <laughs> looks like. He can kiss me and give me bad luck anytime, <laughs> which is the premise of that movie. Um, number five at the box office is another long delayed sequel, the fourth in a franchise. But the last movie came out decades ago. Last movie came out decades ago. That's right. It's the fourth in a franchise. The last one came out decades ago. 80s or even further back? I believe the 80s. Let's double check, though. Why don't we double check? All right. We're going to double check. Let's give it a little double check. Uh, Yes. 20 years prior. 20 years prior. And does this one do well or did they perhaps wait too long? (sighs) No, this one does well. And it was sort of heralded at the time as like, Thank you. Know, great. You made another one of these. That's great. And you made it on this big scale. And that's great. Like, and then they made more and they were ignored. And they made more and they were ignored. It's, this movie's existence is sort of a weird little pop culture moment. Is it, is it a horror franchise? Yes. Fuck. Yes, it uh, is. 2005. This one does well. It's not Amityville horror, is it? Nope. Think like people were actually thrilled that this movie existed. People were thrilled. They were thrilled. So it has to have been, is it like someone returning to the franchise? Is it like that? Yeah. I mean, it's only his franchise, although there are many other like remakes and spinoffs of it, I suppose, or whatever. But But he wrote and directed all six movies. He wrote and directed all six? To the extent that it's like, X's title, you know, like it is pretty much billed with his name in it. The fuck? Like this is fun where fans are just. This like was on the home. bracket. This franchise was on the bracket. This is I know, John I, Carpenter. It has to be. No, no. It's not a Carpenter. It's not a Craven. Zombie. Oh, oh, oh! There you yes. go. There, there you go. go. It's Land of the Dead. Yes, George A. Romero's Land of the Dead. A movie that made twenty million dollars. Perfectly fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's 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 pretty good, right? It's okay. Yeah. I feel like people were just like good for you. He got a blank check because the people who had been influenced by him, right, were like, "Come on, right." And it's sort of the things that ripped him off were becoming big hits. Yeah. Yeah, like Shaun of the Dead or whatever, and like so, like, and I feel like it's the apotheosis of that, like. 
Fangoria type, you know, fandom, yeah. right? There's a lot more of that out there at that point. The internet and the, you know, ain't it cool news of the world, yeah. right? Like there's this sort of reverence for these old genre guys that I don't know. It's just funny that that movie was such a big deal. He'd been canonized more than he had in a while. The Dawn of the Dead remake came out the year before, and that was such a big hit. He was supposed to direct the Resident Evil, the first movie. Yeah. Like he kept on getting fired off of bigger films. And then all these filmmakers who had been influenced by him got big. And then like the online like nerd sphere was like, when are they going to let Romero actually make one of these movies? Then they saw it. They got really hot on it. And the other things had done well that they were like, we're so confident about this. We're going to pull up the release date. This was going to be a Halloween movie. And now we're releasing it in June. And it was a horrible decision. Yeah, that was a bad decision. They definitely should not have done that. They got way that too That was confident. an insane thing to do. Yes. Insane. Because it, it made $20 million, which is way more than any other dead movie, but still, yes. like, you know. It, w- it right. would have made other- twice as much in October. Yeah. <clears throat> Some other movies in the top 10. Madagascar, your favorite. My favorite. Uh, Revenge of the Sith. My favorite. Your favorite. Uh, the Longest Yard, which, of course, is your favorite. My favorite. Um, the Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl in 3D, which <laughs> I feel like might be your favorite. I, I mean, legitimately a pretty good movie. <laughs> and then Ron Howard's Cinderella Man, which is just like the most like uh, movie, right? The we, most we like watched, five out of ten thing. We watched that in my AP U.S. history class to learn about the Great Depression. <laughs> Great. Look, that is definitely that movie's greatest asset for society is as an educational tool. Some other movies. Oh, my God. Now, opening at number 12 this weekend on 352 theaters is Dave LaChapelle's Rise, the documentary wow. about crumping. Wow. Is there anything oh. more 2005 than that? <laughs> yeah. I saw that in theaters. It was pretty good. <laughs> Do you remember just like seeing that first teaser for Cinderella Man that was mostly just the voiceover narration of him in the press conference over like slow motion imagery from the movie. And I forget they used the score from some other big prestige movie. Sure, sure. Over it. Oh, you know what it is? It's the one track from the end credits of Castaway, which is so good. The one Alan Silvestri credits track from Castaway, which rules. Uh, Because there's no score in the movie proper. Um, But that trailer is just like, his voiceover, the the sort of Great Depression, like handsome August imagery, and then like from Academy Award winner Ron Howard and Academy Award winning writer Akiva Goldsman, Academy Award winner Ron uh, Russell Crowe, Academy Award winner Renee Zellweger, and then Giamatti is the one guy who hadn't gotten the Oscar anointment. Can, can I tell one really quick Akiva Goldsman story? Please. Please. It's the shortest. I'm so sorry. Um, I was a freelance uh, writer in uh, New York at the time, and I think I was writing movie reviews for Marie Claire. And I was working on a, a piece about uh, like the, the Stephen King renaissance that was happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Akiva was producing like the man in the, in the, the, the Gunslinger movie. Dark but, Tower. The Dark Tower. Dark Tower, yes, yes. But yes. earlier I had seen a Transformer... Transformers The Last Night mm-hmm. to write a review about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the only Transformers movie I had ever seen. So I went in cold. Mm. Uh, makes a ton w- of sense if you're watching it cold. <laughs> yeah. I uh, had never been more flabbergasted by a movie. It was truly a nightmare. 
Uh, Akiva Goldsman did the story of that movie. I like clocked that he had the story credit. Because he ran the writer's room. They were like, we're going to treat the next 10 Transformers movies like it's a season of television. Yeah. He's the showrunner in terms of generating ideas. And they put 10 people in a room with him who are all overqualified. So this movie was uh, awful and baffling and maybe the worst movie I've ever seen in the theater. And... I was interviewing Akiva Goldsman about something else and just really quickly at the end. And I was like, and can I just, I just have one, you know, quick question about uh, Transformers the last night. Did it, you know, turn out the way you wanted it to? I know with these big projects, you know, they, they go through, was it your original vision? And he goes, I don't know how it turned out. I never saw it. Well, well, fair and enough. I thought, great. I, you should, I, it's a bad it's, it's, it's the Michael Caine question where they ask him why he did Jaws the Revenge. And he said, I haven't seen it by all accounts. It's a horrible film, but I have seen the weekend house I bought with him. By all accounts, it's wonderful. <laughs> I love it. And that, of course, is Bewitched's own Michael Caine. Um, and Len, we're done unless anyone has a take on The Perfect Man starring Hillary Duff and Heather Locklear. It's a bug nuts premise for a movie. It's a movie in which What's a daughter catfishes her own mother to make the, her feel less depressed. They try to make the guy from Superstore, I think, the romantic lead. A young, um, I can't oh, remember his name. Ben, ben Feldman, Feldman, that's right. Ben, ben Feldman, Feldman yes. is the romantic lead. And I remember, is her love interest? I remember even watching He's it Duff's at the time interest. and right. thinking, mm, nope. Yeah. And this is, uh, my dad once called, because like he's so Jewish looking and she's not that like, but like, I'm very, my dad once called me on the phone and told me that I needed to see the movie Obvious Child with Jenny Slate. Uh, sure, sure. Because, and I quote my father, her love interest is conventionally Gentile handsome and he right. thought it would be good for my oh. self-esteem. Oh. <laughs> to see a Jew hooking up with Jake Lacey. Oh. Yeah. Who I believe she refers to as like a Christmas tree. Yes. yes. She's got some good burns on Jake Lacey. Yeah. She pulled some like laundry in that movie. Yeah, uh, I do. I do just want to very quickly say for those of you who don't know, the premise of uh, the perfect man is uh, Hillary Duff feels bad for her lonely uh, Heather Locklear mother, so she catfishes her in online conversations. She cyber bullies her own mother, right? And then when her mother is frustrated and wants to meet the man in person, she hires Chris Noth to r- act out the script she writes for him, Cyrano style. Insane. It made me fall in love. I assume. Of course they do. Eventually. She's, so she's flirting with her mom. <laughs> yes. That's what you're telling me. Yes. Great. Um, she's her, sexting with her mom. She's sending her, dick pics right. to her mom. One her other thing is right is falling in love with a man who speaks with the full intelligence of a 15-year-old's creative <laughs> writing work. One other thing I have to shout out is that also March of the Penguins opened this week on four screens. I didn't I just noticed that. And we it would end up outgrossing. It's a penguin renaissance. Would end up yes. outgrossing Bewitch many times over. What was the final total on Bewitched? Uh, the final total on Bewitched is a cool $63 million. Wow. 131 worldwide. Oh. I don't know. No one, I, it was probably okay, right? People probably could live with that. Yeah, no one took a bath. I don't know. They're all really the rich most. people, and I'm sure Nancy Myers' home is lovely, and she didn't have to put a second mortgage on it. What if? Yeah. What if a movie Nor bankrupted someone? Nor- oh my god! Oh my god! I will say that obviously yeah. an, e- an I'm easy. I'm clearly thinking about the Nancy Myers kitchen. At the well, moment. no. Also, Nora, Dana, we've been recording for more than two hours, and kitchen. it fucking fries your brain. But her kitchen in this is very Myers-esque. It's a great yes. Myers kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this is the Nora bewitched. that feels most like a Nancy. 
but in the wrong ways. Yeah, in the, in the yeah because it's set ways. in Hollywood. Yes, and there's a lot of nice interiors. Yes, no, this Nora's thing lacks Nora. Yes, you know what I mean. Like this, that's the one of the big problems of this thing. Like I don't really see a lot of Nora Ephron in this. No. It's not that. Like I guess it's kind of trying to be biting about Hollywood, but like but it just doesn't have a lot I of think. insight into anything. But Nora that's what Ephron- makes it a fiasco rather than a failure. That's what makes this the lone fiasco of her career. Is it? It's, it's the shoe. It's the shoe. Is that a reference to Elizabethtown? Again, a movie <laughs> yes. I love, David. After losing your mind uh, over this movie, what's worse, Elizabethtown? Oh, or Elizabethtown is worse. Oh, Elizabethtown is disgusting. That is your number right, one least favorite movie. This is going to be my bonus yeah. episode. Is right. we're going to review Elizabethtown and again. No, no, yeah, you'll and come over whenever COVID is over. It can just be Dave <laughs> and Ange. First thing I'm going to do on the couch. Peel your eyes open. Watching Elizabethtown. <laughs> It'll end with me. Going on a suicide. <laughs> the real tragedy of this movie, in my mind, is that uh, Nora is so good sometimes at genuine human chemistry and yes. connection yes. and like feeling like two people who bicker have a spark. She's good at, mm-hmm. at, at putting a spark on film. And this is like the anti spark. This is like like uh, the spray that makes you not have static electricity on your skirts. It gets rid of all romantic uh, chemistry. There is it's, a pull it's quote amazing. on on the You've Got Mail Blu-ray I own that says uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan should win the Nobel Prize for Chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in those that's terms, a funnier joke than anything. Absolutely. <laughs> but in those terms, this movie is like building the atomic bomb. Like it's like <laughs> applying chemistry in only the wrong ways. <laughs> it's like hiring physicists to create a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> Yeah, that's what's, have so, that's what's so baffling about it. Uh, well, uh, Dana, I hope you don't resent us uh, uh, making you talk about this movie. For no, I'm hours. so sorry I got so angry about it. I didn't expect to be so so animated. It's hard to stay chill. I mean, it's a bewitch challenge. Watch it for two hours and stay chill. Impossible. You can't do it. It's <laughs> you do a Will Ferrell scream yourself yeah. out of frustration. Humas! <laughs> Sherpa! <laughs> Humas. Humas. He does yell Sherpa at one point. He does. Sherpa! Dana, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a, I'm a big, big Blank Check fan. This is a delight. Uh, I'm sorry Aww. it took uh, us this long to get ahead on the show. Uh, to get you on the show. I think people don't realize how far ahead we now plan oh, compulsively out of fear. This this has been... I was actually going to come record this episode in person that I had a trip to New York that was yes. canceled because of uh, coronavirus, a thing that That's still right. is happening. I was like, I know this is sort of silly. It was so early on. I was like, you know, they, they gave us a memo at work. We're not really supposed to travel. I'm so yes. sorry for the inconvenience. You were the first COVID cancellation of our <laughs> podcast. Right. It was before the lockdown had happened, but when you were like, it doesn't seem like a great time to get was, on a plane. It was in that last week where you were yeah. still like riding the subway, but, to, but still starting to feel like, is this fucked up? Should I be doing <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I our, felt, yeah. our thing was, but look, we hate doing podcasts uh, virtually. I guess we have to find a new guest. If Dana can't come to New York anytime in the next two months, what are we going to do? Record the episode over a computer? I won't stand for one episode done that way. Um, it's been weird. It's been weird. Uh, but Dana, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for uh, letting me do it virtually. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Andrew Gudo. 
co-person of the show, social media, Rachel Jacobs for editing help, Leigh Montgomery for our theme song, Joe Bone and Pat Rounds for artwork. Go to blankies.rat.com for some real nerdy shit. Uh, Patreon.com backslash blank check for blank check special features uh, where we do franchise commentaries. We're doing the Mission Impossible movies and David is probably enjoying God, being alive God, temporarily for, for two hours at a I've time. I've never oh. seen any of those. Ooh. Oh my oh, God. Dana, it's been Dana. the best quarantine watch. I highly recommend. Do I start at the beginning? Do I start at the first one? Of course, luxuriate. I we we actually watched backwards and then like started up, went back to one. It doesn't matter. They're mostly all. I think. Yeah, I think you can either start at one or start at four. Okay. Yes. I think those are the two entry points. Yeah. Okay. But well, the, the first three movies are kind of standalones, and then four is when it starts to become a unified franchise. Good. To yeah. Know. Thank you. But like yeah. nothing has pumped me up like hearing that theme song kick in. Oh, it rolls. Three right is now. kind of episode zero of the franchise. Yes. I'll just start at the beginning. I just have start time. at the beginning. This is way too convoluted. Look, They're fun. Uh, we're all stuck at home and the world is going to end. Why not watch all of them? Uh, and, and as always, here is a 15 minute and 27 second phone conversation between Alex Ross Perry and Jason Schwartzman talking exclusively about the movie Bewitched. Um, but yeah, all right, so I'm doing this now. So yeah, I mean, what's your, what, what, what was the, how did the involvement start? Like, where did that come from, if you remember? It came from uh, the, I, uh, you know, the usual, the very um, traditional channels which was that you know they were i got um heard they were making um the movie of uh, bewitched and that um uh, it was a part of this um agent manager type um uh, and i thought maybe um it would be uh, i could try to do something uh with that and I, I was excited because I wanted to work with Will Ferrell, who I loved. And so I really was, um, the first thing was just like, maybe I could work with Will Ferrell. Um, and um, I don't even know if I knew nor everyone was doing it. I don't Because um, she wrote but, the script, so it would have, right. you know, come so with her name on it. But no, but I didn't even read it. This is just hearing about it. Right. Um, at this point. Um, then I got it. Then... Um, and um, basically, I was very excited, very nervous, and I had, I just, um, I remember going into the audition, uh, which was in, uh, at um, uh, Sony, I believe, um, and um, I went in, and I'm, uh, and she was uh, very nice, but I did some, I remember the second I sat down, I said something about a birthday, and then I, and I don't know really much about, um, you know, horoscopes and, and zodiacs, you know, but I said something like, oh, that's Gemini. I knew one of them because it was near my birthday, and she goes, oh, you don't really believe in that shit, do you? That was like the first thing she really said to me was, uh, you don't really believe in that shit, do you? Um, which I thought was a great 
way to start the conversation. Yeah, great icebreaker for your... Yeah, I, I loved it. It made me so happy. I said, no, not really. So you were in there uh, to read or to meet? Um, to read, I think. I don't recall exactly. I won't, I won't try to... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah. Well, good. Thank you. But I did. I know that I ended up reading. Um, and um, uh, but anyway, I had. A, I just thought it was just such a typically like to to like my personality uh, typically like would if I bump into like um, like something like that like you don't believe in that should do like right up front it's kind of like a roadblock. And I go, oh, never mind, I'll just go back. Um, but I really, for some reason with her, she just had a look in her eye and kind of oh, just a smile. And I just, I was like, oh, I, I, I really, I, 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 I understand why this woman is who she is. I mean, why she's so, you know, well-regarded and made so many wonderful, you just see it in her eye. Yeah. Um, and anyway, um, then we, uh, and she was a combination of like, quiet and strong and when she laughed it meant a great deal to me um and uh like the kind of person and, that like once you know you crack them up then you feel oh i just i just want because i liked her you know i i was such a fan of her her work and had you seen you know, lucky numbers I, uh, lucky numbers the, um, which was no. the last movie at that time no i hadn't seen it uh so the earlier her burn you're mentioning Oh yeah, I just I, I you know I love I really love heartburn, um, and you know I just her story and her you know her whole story, um, but I hadn't seen Lucky Numbers, and I still haven't seen Lucky Numbers. I think you're probably um, fine, and I will haven't seen Lucky Numbers by the time this comes out, but I will watch it at some point if you want me to. Um, you know, I wouldn't, having watched it last night, I don't know if I would say that you have to. Oh, I'll do it if you want me to, just tell me if you want me. Anyway, but, um, so, and then we, uh, then I told her, um, we started talking about, you know, and the truth is, like, I was very nervous to go in, like, I didn't really, like, have, I was, didn't really have an, a, such a concrete idea, like, what I, like, why could I be good to work in this with this person, why do I deserve to get, um, but then I started to talk to her about, um, she brought up like the idea that a lot of, that these types of people that I would be playing in a way, not to generalize, but have a kind of like, like not jock quality, but a kind of like, you know, um, they're just that kind of like, uh, you know, kill, kill or be killed in, out, um, just this kind of like this nature that she kind of pointed me in the direction to. I thought that was really interesting. Just kind of like being like, um, like, a like in, in the in group kind of, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, then I told her a story, um, about that a friend of mine told me that I, I actually think that I used it. Uh, I've used this. Bit. I actually later in some in a, in, in a something else, but um, which was that uh, this person said they were having a meeting, and in the meeting the guy this person was interrupted. I think is this good, uh, is this is this the, the 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 delivery of the? Yes. I think about the story all the time. All right, I, this is right, one of my best. top. Okay, so sorry, go as on you know. because it's right, the best. You know. Right. 
So basically, just like this person, I was like I'm trying to figure it out, and this person said, uh, "Well, I'll tell you a story. One time, I was in a meeting with a person, and uh, they, they, someone ran in with a um, like an overnight FedEx um, delivery, like it had, you know just gotten there, and it tapped tapped him on the shoulder. And said, it's here. He said, "Oh, great." <laughs> He keeps talking, rips the package open, you know, with that kind of like tear here thing, like one quick thing, and then um, held it upside down, and a power bar fell out into his hand. I think about this all the time, especially. I was going to text. I was going to text you because the other day, uh, a like an envelope from Amazon came that had on his name on it, and when she came home and opened it, there was a bag of Jolly Ranchers in it. Oh my god! And it made me think of this exact story, which I think of all the time. So you, so you, so you told her that. Well, this I loved it because this was like um, he had obviously said to somebody, "Ship me a power bar." Yeah, like it wasn't through a company. It wasn't through. He's like it was like a personal delivery overnight. Me my power bar. Right. Um, and I told her that, and she laughed a lot. And I said, I don't know really what that means, but well, she's right. That's one of that, the best one of the best stories. I, I think that I was like, I don't know what this means, but. That is the kind of person that I think I would try to portray. And then she said, great. And she was laughing and she was into it. Yeah. Uh, so then was there anything then, that like... And then... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, you uh, you go ahead. Well, then I just loved her like when we were working. So once we were, once we were working, I just thought she was super... Just... I have... Just wonderful. Like just... I thought she was great. I thought that she was... Um, you know, such like a great. Uh, um, she ran. She ran the set, made you feel encouraged, but also made you feel like you should try more. Um, you know what I mean? She was not. She. It was like she really was. She had that a beautiful ability to kind of push you forward without making you feel like you were failing before that. Um, and also, she, you know, I worked on that movie uh, with Jim Turner and Stephen Colbert in that movie. They're like the two other guys that I, basically me, Jim Turner, and Stephen Colbert had all of our scenes together with Will. Um, and it was just such a, um, they were so funny and just really watching those guys and talking about things and the election was happening then and hearing Nora talking about the election um, it, I really felt like I was privileged to be there. I was sort of like, I really am not smart enough to be with these people. Um, so I, I quickly just fell into a role of being quiet and um, just trying to, to listen. But I do remember one day I was sitting, I walked over to the to get food at a, like the craft service table and there was this really nice uh spread of, of something i forget maybe it's cheese or something and i was over there and then um nora was over there she came over she was the only one and she was just cutting little pieces of cheese and talking to me and um asking me questions about my life and um and just eating little pieces of cheese and then walked away and it was just um but it was like a 15 minutes of just her sampling cheeses from a, from a cheese board um, and just taste little bites and with that little type of cheese knife. And then, um, anyway, then I had a really, then later I saw her, um, 
at a uh, at a party years years later but and it was uh, this is i hope this isn't bad well i won't get into details but basically like she said something that was so fun to me which is that i had um while i when i knew her when i was working with nor i um had a girlfriend and um then by the time i see nora by chance at this dinner party at this house um the girl and i are no longer together and um i was sad about it and uh, anyway the first thing she said was oh how was so and so and i said oh you know we actually um we broke up and she was oh that's a shame she was the best what a great you know and then she started telling everyone around like uh, how great she was like this girl could do this and this and this and this and i was just like yeah <laughs> I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, and just um, so that was so you didn't keep up. You didn't. You know. You would maybe see her around. That's... I saw her. Yeah, but my whole thing and just so sweet. But like coming out of nowhere to say hi to me and just like um, I, I felt that. But what I felt was she has uh, what I, what I think like I meant earlier when I said like a kind of smile and this thing like when you, is uh, that she's a super perceptor. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like she's picking it up on so many things. And obviously, you know, when you read her books, I mean, what she's, that's what, you know, she has that eye. Yeah. Coming from the writing. No, we love, I mean, we love those books. We love them. Yeah. Obviously. They're they're great. Yeah. So it was just, you know, for you, like, uh, you know, someone that it was fun to just kind of get to hang out with and work with for a little bit, cross paths, and just say like, "Wow, you know, that's kind of like an older, yeah. like an old school kind of intellect that I got to sort of as a young person yes. brush up against." Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it was like I was, I, I wasn't like I wasn't, I, I'm never really casual about it. Like, oh, I'm gonna try this thing, and like I was pretty, uh, I felt pretty like. I, I'm here with these people and this is really a big deal for me. And um, It's funny because it all stemmed really just from, oh, Will Ferrell's going to do, oh, I, I, I would love to work with Will Ferrell. And that was amazing and I learned so much from him, um, obviously, as you can see. Yeah, I mean, that's why, uh, that's, why, that's why you made 12 sports that's movies. Why, that's why I've done it. I mean, that's why, you've, as you've seen, yes, it shows, it speaks for itself, his influence. But, um, but, um, but really... Getting to spend time with her and watch her direct. Um, I mean, I watched her a lot. Because um, uh, sometimes I'd be like in a scene where you know, just a, it's a dinner scene, a dinner party scene, and uh, maybe I'm in the back, but it took five days to shoot it or something. You know what I mean? Because it's a big, huge scene. And, big, and I had a lot of time um, where I wasn't on camera, and I just... She was so cool. I just sat there and watched her. And uh, I watched her work and her, just the way she was, was really great. And, um, and, uh, but she'd probably be saying, like, oh, that's bullshit right now. She right. Maybe heard me saying this. Yeah. Did, so the, when, when you saw the finished movie, was it sort of what you would always picture it as it would come together? I haven't seen it in over 10 years. We saw it once years ago. But... I haven't, I haven't seen it in over 10 years either. But, uh, I remember, I don't. I just remember learning a lot from being there. Um, I remember, like Will Ferrell, he would jog, he would run to the set every day instead of getting a ride. Okay, which is amazing. Like he'd run like twelve miles in the morning to get to the set. Huh. 
Now that you mention it, that explains why you've always done that. Right, that's, and I, that's where I got it. I uh, got it from him. And he got it from Oliver Reed. Uh-huh. And then I got, and then I, so, and now I hope to pass it on to the next, you know, the next one of us. Um, well, uh, is there anything else that you want to put on the record here? While, uh, well, before yeah, I... her sister, her sister is amazing too. Um, and their connection and working relationship is really fascinating. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm sad that she's not alive. Yeah. Because I think that she's uh, she uh, uh, rare to be like uh, to be. I think so, such a keen eye and and so smart and so so and also able to make big movies and things. You know, I think like. Nice. Great. Nice having her around. Well, uh, thank you. I'm going to press stop on the recording now, but then I'm not going to hang up just yet. I'm going to say a few more things, but I'm going to stop recording right now.